This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. You know what the best first line of a book is? And it is, I felt this way since I first read this book in the fourth or fifth grade. The best first line of a book is in uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. You remember the line? If you read the book, and I don't think I've read it since the, since the fifth grade, the first line, the first sentence is, Marley was dead to begin with. And then it goes on to explain this fact must be plainly and simply understood for anything else in the book to make sense. And I always like that because it's such a, uh, an appropriate – first of all, it's kind of a clever use of words and bouncing around of words. But it, you really do have to understand that to enjoy the rest of the book, A Christmas Carol, and understand why it's so fantastic and so supernatural and the like. The way I want to begin this discussion – is by saying, I am not, nor have I ever claimed to be, an expert in presidential campaigns or presidential campaign history. So everybody should take my opinion and my analysis on all of this stuff with not a grain of salt, a shaker of salt. I don't pretend to be an expert. There are other people on radio, on television that are experts. I'm not one of them, unfortunately. What I am is a great student of presidential campaign history. I have a great interest in presidential campaigns and the political process in general and elections. That being said, I was very interested in this interview that uh, former President Trump did with my colleagues, uh, John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby, Yesterday on Cats and Crosby. Cats. Oh, I don't know why I still keep calling it Cats and Crosby. I've known Rita for probably 20 years. And for some reason, I say her name properly, Rita Cosby. But when I say the show's name, it's Cats and Crosby. I don't know why. I've got a mental block there for some reason. It's like, remember when Sarah Palin kept calling Joe Biden when she debated him, Joe O'Biden or Senator O'Biden? I can't figure out. Sometimes I intentionally mangle words. This is not one of them. I legitimately cannot cannot get Cats and Crosby out of my head. I guess it's because I'm such a, a Bing Crosby fan. Now, one of the uh, aspects, I thought it was a great interview. I thought, uh, I thought President Trump sounded good. I thought he sounded energetic. I thought he sounded on top of the issues. However, there were a couple of things about this interview that I found disappointing. For starters, and I'm not going to harp on this because uh, we've talked about it to death and people either agree or don't agree. I, I just find it so disappointing and foolish for the general election strategy, quite frankly, that President Trump continues to harp on this stolen election. The election was rigged. The Democrats cheated. <sighs> I mean, I re- if you read the Jeff Greenfield article that I posted on my Facebook page yesterday at Facebook.com slash MoranoFan, I understand why he's saying that. But it, I wish he wouldn't. I mean, you talk about a way that is going to turn off 
independent voters that don't want to vote for President Biden again. It's it's that. It's that. All right. Put that aside. He said something yesterday which had been reported a day or two earlier, but he expanded upon it in this interview with Katz and Cosby. And he said basically that the RNC debates are coming up. The Republican primary day debates are coming up. And he said he's probably not going to participate. This is what uh, President Trump told uh, John and Rita last night. Um, there was word that you may not uh, do a Republican debate. Is that true or, or not? Well, I'm leading by 40 points. And a lot of people say, why would you do a debate when you have people at 2 and 3 and 15 and 14? And uh, DeSanctis is coming way down. You know, he's, he's really showed his stuff. Don't forget, when I supported him, he was a failed candidate. And then when I supported him, he won. And everyone said, oh, that was a good job. The only thing good, he got my endorsement, and he went way up, you know, over a period of immediately. He went way up. We took a little ad. We showed that ad. You probably saw it. I mean, he even said, when you supported me, it wasn't the thing to do. And that's right. And then he wanted to run. I don't know if he – honestly, I don't know whether or not he's going to run because he's lost all of his support. He's campaigned very poorly. And he's lost so much support that I don't know if he's going to run. If he does, that's fine. But with the debates, why would I debate when everybody is? And if you look back at history in terms of these primaries, people don't debate when they have these massive leads. They say, why, why would we debate? And I have a hostile. I would have a hostile group of anchors, a hostile network asking questions. Why would I do that? And you're up with the people. And, you know, my, my popularity is the highest because, you know, part of the reason it's the highest is because the people in office right now are doing so badly. I mean, they're so bad that it's very high. So I don't know that I do the debate. The Reagan Library is, is you know, nice, but the Reagan Library is run by The Washington Post. Who wants the Washington Post? Why is the Washington Post running the Reagan Library? You know, the publisher of the Washington Post is the chairman of the Reagan Library. And that's where one of the debates would be. And he went on, and you can listen to the whole interview at redapplepodcastnetwork.com. As of now, the first 2024 GOP presidential primary debate is set for this August in Milwaukee. Or as Alice Cooper could tell you, it really should be pronounced Milwaukee. I think it would be a tremendous mistake for President Trump to skip all these primary debates. I think you got to participate in at least the first one. Maybe you don't do every debate. Maybe you do four. Maybe you say, look, you know, I want to concentrate on campaigning. I want to give people an opportunity, Republicans, an opportunity to see what I'm all about. Maybe, maybe you do five. You know, you don't have to do 20, but I think you should debate four or five times. For a few reasons. One, both for the public's sake, the sake of Republicans, and for Donald Trump's own sake. One, what do you hear about Donald Trump so often from his critics? You hear that – and I understand where he's coming from because by taking a bunch of people that a lot of – aren't necessarily that well-known yet, Asa Hutchinson, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, and uh, Nikki Haley – They're not well-known, certainly not nearly as well-known as Donald Trump is, and certainly not nearly as well-known as Ron DeSantis is. Why would you elevate them and make them a star? I get it. I get it from a political perspective, but he should. 
so much of the criticism of President Trump is that he thinks that the rules don't apply to him. It's that they think people think he thinks that he's above the law. They always bring up that remark that he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and not lose any support. I think if you're talking about um, running in an open presidential seat for the Republicans anyway and not having debates and the leading candidates not going to participate, it just looks arrogant. It looks like he thinks this is beneath him. So I I don't think the perception would bode well either for registered Republicans or for the general electorate at large, especially because he said he would participate in the general election debate. His words were, you really have an obligation to do that. Well, why? Why do you have an obligation to do a general election debate and not a primary debate? I think you do have an obligation to do at least a few primary debates. The other reason that he should debate is because he's great at it. He is great, especially in a Republican debate format. You have he is the most popular Republican in America. So whether this debate is at the Republican as the Reagan Library or anywhere else, if the audience is mostly Republicans, they're going to be cheering everything he's saying. I think he really won over a lot of people that were skeptical about him because of his performance in the 2016 primary debate. So I think it would be a tremendous mistake for him to skip these debates. And the other thing is, when you debate, you're sharper on the issues. When he goes on television, if he, whether he sticks with friendly interviewers like Sean Hannity or uh, goes into unfriendly territory, which he did in 2016 with people like uh, Chuck Todd, George Stephanopoulos and the like, they're going to ask him, well, not Hannity, but the, the objective interviewers or the adversarial interviewers are going to ask him some tough questions. He'll be better prepared to answer them if he's already been through it with the debate moderators in the primary. I'm not, sh- I'm not saying you do 20. I'm not saying you do 30. You got to do a few. Got to do four, five, six, seven debates. And I think that would assuage a lot of concerns that he thinks this is an office that he's entitled to. Additionally, it's good practice for him for the general election. His first debate with President Biden in 2020 was very poor. I don't care if you're the biggest Trump supporter in the world or the biggest Trump critic in the world. He performed very poorly in that debate. And uh, it looks like he probably had COVID at the time. And that's part of the reason he did perform so poorly. But I think the more he debates, the more he gets into a, a situation where the he knows how to respond to a candidate's opposing view or a moderator's opposing view, the better he's going to be for the general election. And I got news for you. You know who else should debate? President Biden. I realize that traditionally the when there's an incumbent president, the DNC usually doesn't sponsor debates, even if there are other people running in the primary. But usually there's not a significant primary challenger, but although that has that has differed over the years. I guess the most competitive challenger to a an incumbent Democratic president was probably 1980 when Ted Kennedy ran against Jimmy Carter, and there was no Carter-Kennedy debates. There should be debates. There's another Kennedy running this year. It's Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and polls show, and again, I'm skeptical of quoting too much of the polls, polls show that he already has the support of 14% of registered Democrats, and Marianne Williamson, who's running, Uh, has the support of 5% of registered Democrats. So are you really going to tell 
20% of your party that you think so little of their opinion that you're not even going to deign to debate their adversary? Because what is the biggest knock on Biden? And this has been heard from the New York Times editorial board as well. Not exactly a bastion of right-wingerism. The New York Times editorial board said he should have to take a competency test. There are real concerns about not only his age, but his cognitive ability. What better way to show that you're up for the job than to participate in some primary debates and show that you can complete your sentences and not get frozen like a deer in the headlights. So Biden should debate. And I know he's in the same position Trump is for the Democrats. He doesn't want to elevate Marianne Williamson or Robert F. Kennedy Jr. to a place of prominence that they wouldn't otherwise, a platform that they wouldn't otherwise have. I get it. He should do it. Because if he performs well in those debates, if he performs well in those debates then that is going to be able to assuage a lot of concerns that Democrats and independents have about him simply not being able or up for doing the job. If he performs poorly, then I think you would see a major mainstream Democratic challenger emerge. Because the worst thing for the Democrats is, if you think about it, is uh, if Joe Biden is untested completely during the primaries and he gets in there in the middle of a debate with Donald Trump and he doesn't know whether it's night or morning, he doesn't know what day it is, and I'm not saying that's the case. He's uh, talking about ice cream instead of school shootings. He's making corn pop references, telling obvious lies about Nelson Mandela. He's, uh, you know, uh, getting the, the call out from Kamala Harris about school busing. If he doesn't perform well in those debates and if he really performs badly and look, Biden is a decent debater. He did well against Paul Ryan. He did well against Palin and he did well in that first debate against Trump. But those early primary debates where he was really embarrassed by Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and others, it gave people a lot of pause. It wasn't until he righted the ship a little bit. That And showed that, okay, he actually is capable of answering questions and showing some mental agility that some Democrats came back to him. So I think Biden should debate. And look, and tell me what you think. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. My position is Trump and Biden should both debate their primary opponents. I know that it's unprecedented for an incumbent Democratic president to debate his challengers. He should do it anyway. And Trump should keep with the precedent of participating in the RNC-sponsored debates. That's my view. I'd love to hear yours, whether you agree, whether you disagree. 800-848-9222. Marianne Williamson wants to debate Biden. She spoke to The Hill about uh, debating Biden and his campaign. What do you have to say to all those people out there who are who have fatigue about uh, the idea of Biden running again and being up against Donald Trump? Well, the DNC should take those people's voices very, very seriously. I think given that video that you just showed, uh, any Democrat should be very concerned because that video does not show an administration in touch with the American people. Uh, the president said that his administration has been given about giving everybody a fair shot. But say that to the people who are wondering why, in fact, we haven't raised the minimum wage, why they didn't permanentize the t- child tax credit, why he didn't stand for the railroad workers against the railroad bosses. I think that video is very out of touch, and that's what people are feeling. I think that video shows... Um, Um, You know, I think uh, an entire younger generation would stay home in droves in response to what that 
video is advancing as the administration's pitch to the American people. The DNC should listen to those voices, to those high percentages, 51% of Democrats, 70% of Americans who say they want another possibility other than the president. And that's why it's so important that the DNC have debates and allow those of us, Bobby Kennedy and myself, to debate the president, because this is an important time for us to really consider what do we need to present to the American people in order to beat the Republicans in 2024. And I'll tell you how other, the other way, reason that it would be beneficial to both Biden and the Democrats is because what you could do is make um, a precondition of partic- participating in those debates be that you have to support the Democratic nominee. If Robert F. Kennedy Jr. performs well in the primaries and then feels that somehow he didn't get a fair shake in the primaries and he'd have a better chance in the general election and runs as an independent, if Robert Kennedy gets 2% of the vote in Georgia, in Arizona, in uh, Nevada, in potentially even states like Michigan and Wisconsin, he could make things very difficult for Biden if a lot of those votes are coming from Democrats. So uh, I think they should absolutely rethink this, both Biden and Trump. Both of them should debate, in my opinion. What do you think? 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Coming up in uh, a few minutes, we're going to talk with a gentleman named Slinky. I must confess I did not know much about Slinky. But knowing my personality, I think you can guess when I had the opportunity to interview someone named Slinky, what my reaction was. And if your name is Slinky, I'm going to interview you. First question, how'd you get a name like Slinky? But in all seriousness, he is a a very successful realtor and a nightlife impresario who's been a linchpin of the underground club scene for 40 years. He has a lot of, uh, you know, and he, before that he was a drug dealer. And he was a drug dealer to the stars, A-list celebrities, professional athletes. And then, as if that wasn't enough, he decided to go into the prostitution business. So... He's got one of the most fascinating life stories I've ever seen, and he's going to join us to uh, talk with us about a whole bunch of those things. 800-848-9222. Ronnie in Baltimore. What do you think? Should Trump and Biden debate their primary opponents? Absolutely. And Biden never said he's not debating. Well, that's true. He has not. He's not said that. Only Trump has. Well, that's that's exactly right. And I should have clarified that. But unlike uh, the RNC, which is sponsoring debates beginning in August, so far, the DNC has not indicated that they're going to be sponsoring any debate. So this would have to be sort of a a joint decision by the DNC and the Biden campaign. But you're right about that. I should have clarified that. Yeah. And I guess that uh, Trump. Being he's a man without shame and so are his followers. He probably doesn't want to appear in an orange jumpsuit. Well, I mean, I, he's unlikely to be in an orange jumpsuit by August. I don't know. Well, I mean, how? I mean, the trial in is not even going to start till December. So why would he be in an orange jumpsuit in August? When did they say the trial's in December? Well, at, at the last court appearance. Well, we've got three more coming. Right. Well, but they're not going to be able to have a whole trial before there's even an indictment before the other case in which he's been indicted. 
But we know what's going to happen. Right, and right. It, but so I, I think you're. And, I think, and so why would any of you support him? Well, I mean, it's just. You know, that's a fair question, Ronnie. I get. I think another fair question is, why would you call a radio show and stay on a speakerphone? By the way, was, did she sound like that when she was talking to you? So she got on a speakerphone after being placed on hold. That's wonderful. Don't use a speakerphone. A couple of things. Why would – when you say that, why would any of you support him? I did vote for Trump twice. I was very proud to vote for him, particularly the first time. I don't want to vote for Trump. And if there were another alternative that I was confident could de-escalate nuclear war with Russia and Ukraine, I'd be for that person. If there were another alternative that could do something about the border situation, I would be for that person. If there was another, but there's not. There's there's not at this point. So um, I think part of the reason any of you would support him is honestly a dissatisfaction with the way things are now, coupled with an absence of other alternatives. But um, that's that's my view on the situation anyway. I hope more alternatives do emerge, though. Don't get me wrong. 800-848-9222. And when you say uh, he has no shame and his supporters have no shame and he's going to be in an orange jumpsuit, even though I explained to you in painstaking detail how it's going to be impossible for him to be in an orange jumpsuit by August... I think it really tends to alienate people, Ronnie. And I think what you want to do if you're a Biden supporter, and I have a lot of friends and family members that are very strong Biden supporters. If you're a Biden supporter, what you want to do is not launch ad hominem attacks and insult people and call them shameless. What you want to do is win them over. What you want to do is not explain why the person they voted for or may vote for again is so bad Explain to people why your candidate is so good. I think that's to kind of what tends to turn people off about and leads to greater polarization in this country as far as I'm concerned. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Dave Slinky Bender joining me very shortly. Alex is in Brooklyn. Hello, Alex. Hey, Frank. Thanks. Yeah, first of all, by the way, I, I never, ever managed to win over a Democrat to the other side of the aisle, any serious Democrat that, you know, grew up in, in, in that kind of environment. Well, so, that, I think yeah, you yeah. might be making the wrong arguments then. OK, uh, well, about Joe Biden, I don't think it would be smart for him to debate in the primary, number one, because he wouldn't do well. And even even if he does well. Still, he would be leveling the playing field, and that would show for Democratic voters, yeah, that he has, you know, competitive candidates running against him. Usually with an incumbent, it's like the, the, other, the voters aren't even considering these other people because they're like, it's not even a competition. So uh, I don't think it would be smart for him to do that. And with Trump, he has a few reasons why he doesn't want to be in the debate. Um, I think he, he would enjoy a debate, but the Fox News is going to be hosting the first one, and he claims that they were very hostile to him in the past. And the truth is that you know the Fox News doesn't like President Trump, the management, and most of the hosts over there, so they wouldn't be treating him very fairly. And the other thing is, yeah, if he is this way ahead in the polls, for him to have to now acknowledge these other candidates and level the playing field um, when they're only at 2% and 1%, 
he has his 35% base that's going to stay with him. Why would he expose his base to all these other candidates that are at 2%? I guess when it's going to narrow down to the top three candidates, then he would probably join. Uh, well, he base. hasn't said that, though. He hasn't said that. Yep. If he would say something like that, I, I could deal with that. But as far as um, your analysis, and I think most of it's very sound, and thank you for the call, Alex. As far as your analysis goes, uh, let's say for the sake of this discussion, I'll agree with you that Fox News was and is tough on him. Well, so don't you think they're going to be tough for him if they're moderating a general election debate? That's number one. Number two is you can like it, you can dislike it, but a lot of Republicans tend to watch Fox News. And if Trump's going to win in the general election, he needs every Republican-leaning voter voting for him, more than he got the last time. Number three even if they are hostile to him, and I agree he was sort of mistreated in that um, first debate with Megyn Kelly, uh, Brett Baer, and uh, Chris Wallace. Even if they are hostile, the way Trump handled the moderators and his opponents in that debate, it elevated him. It made him more statesmanlike. He was very funny. So, I mean, when Megyn Kelly read off a list of horrible things that he said about women— Trump interrupted her with a joke, and the whole place was so busy laughing that they couldn't even hear the rest of her question. And then you know what? He gave a very substantive answer. I think he won over a lot of people with that performance. If anybody can handle a hostile venue, it's Donald Trump. The guy is a born brawler. So uh, I get what you're saying and what he's saying, that why do you want to take someone who's at 1% in the polls or 2% in the polls and elevate them to statesmanlike status? So maybe you say, I will agree to a series of debates with candidates that are polling above 10%. And then uh, I don't like that. I think everybody should get to debate. But that would include DeSantis, who is a real candidate, and a lot of people support him. And that would give a sort of a benchmark for other candidates to strive for to get on that debate stage. So I just, I find all this being, uh, not wanting to debate, not wanting to put your record out there, not wanting to answer questions, I find it so objectionable. I found it objectionable, objectionable when Andrew Cuomo did it. I found it objectionable when Kathy Hochul did it. I find it objectionable, I found it objectionable when Jimmy Carter wouldn't debate John B. Anderson. Um, It's just... It's just so elitist, honestly. I want to go, you know where I would debate? I would go to any forum that would have me as a candidate or as a person. I want to win over anybody that I possibly can in a debate. And I want a president that wants to win over every voter that he can. 800-848-9222. Slinky coming up in a moment. But first, let me say hello to uh, Danny in Baltimore. Hello, Danny. How you doing? I don't think Trump should uh, debate him. Why? Trump's well known. Well, Trump got Trump got uh, backing, and I will vote for him again in 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 twenty twenty four. Well, Ain't so no just saying this about it, right? So, um, why why should he say? Well, because a lot of people 
agree with Trump's policies and Trump's politics, but some of the people supporting DeSantis, they may say, okay, I don't like Trump's temperament and that kind of a thing. And I think if he has a strong debate performance against someone like DeSantis, he can win over some of those voters. But thanks, Danny. All right. Slinky is here, ladies and gentlemen. Slinky, Slinky. Everyone loves a Slinky. We'll get into a wide variety of subjects with the Slinkmeister straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight, that is the great uh, Bobby Rydell singing Wild One. In addition to being a great song, and uh, I actually had the privilege of meeting uh, Bobby Rydell. It's featured in uh, the most recent episode of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel that I saw, which I'll tell you about in a little while. It also is probably an apt description for Dave Slinky Bender, who uh, has led a fascinating, fascinating life. Just how fascinating, we'll find out in just a moment. And I am told that um, this is someone who has done the kind of career transition that very few people can lay claim to. Let me welcome in studio Dave Slinky Bender. Do I call you Dave Slinky, Slinky Mr. Bender? Slinky. Good to meet you, Frank. Good to meet you. How does one get the nickname Slinky? I can't tell that story on the air. (laughs) You can't tell an abridged version or or a censored version? Uh, most kind of mobbed up guys get their nickname committing something that has no statute of limitations. Understood. Got it. Okay. That, okay. That's a fair response. That's w- one way to uh, to get us to to move on. Now, you uh, have been described by some as at one time having been a, a drug dealer to the stars. Is that an apt description? Absolutely. Uh, CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. Grammy winners, Tony winners, uh, you name it. How does one get into dealing drugs? I don't think most people have an aspiration to do it. Um, With me, I was a drug user in college, and I was, I guess, fortunate enough to have access to some very good drugs. So people are like, oh, can I buy some? And drug users can be very insistent about wanting good drugs. So you kind of get sucked into it. What kind of drugs are we talking about here? My biggest thing was cocaine. Cocaine. Uh, so you were a big cocaine user. People would hear that you had cocaine and you would just sell it to them. Absolutely. And then um, you you were in college and everything at the time? This was after I had graduated from Cornell. From Cornell. What did you study in Cornell? I have a Bachelor of Science in Engineering and a Professional Master of Engineering. Wow, uh, both from Cornell. Yes. Very, very, very impressive. So there then came a time that you got involved in the uh, sex business, the, prost- the world of prostitution, right? Yes. Basically, I was living in College Town, and there was this very famous bar called Johnny's Big Red. It's where 
Vladimir Nabokov wrote Lolita oh, wow. when he was a visiting professor. And right around the time I graduated, their lease came up. And the landlord just jacked up the rent to something ridiculous. So the owners realized they couldn't make a go of it. So they found, I think they were recent hotel school grads, and they sold them the bar. They very quickly realized that they couldn't make a go of it. Oh, my. So they hired a bunch of strippers, and I think they figured that there would be enough backlash from the community that they would get out of their lease. It didn't work. Didn't work. But what did happen is, is at the time, I had six jobs when I was in college, and one of them, I was head of the University Union's audiovisual squad. So this place was right down the block. I go there, and I'm talking to one of the strippers, and she finds out, it's like, oh, you have access to all the fraternities, don't you? Next thing I knew, I was booking strippers at all the... You basically became a pimp. No, this was just booking strippers. Just booking strippers. Okay. So, um, and then did the, did it escalate to anything else or... Sure. Uh, one day I'm in my room and there's a knock on the door and it's the head of campus security and the county sheriff. I'm like, okay, this is it. I'm being expelled. My career's over before it starts, whatever. No. Apparently they had a very small town not that far away where they basically ran the town, and there was a brothel that they were having issues managing. Well, who's the they? The they that was having issues managing the brothel and ran that town? Um, I don't want to say names, uh-huh. but it was basically the county sheriff. Gotcha. So the county sheriff was essentially corrupt. Aren't they all? Well, no, no. <laughs> we got a lot of good sheriffs out yes. there. I'm but, teasing, but guys. But so the county sheriff's basically corrupt. And he basically, the law enforcement agency in that town was all his, like, nephews and whatever. Gotcha. So they ran that town. Gotcha. Gotcha. So next thing I knew, I'm managing this brothel for them. For the county sheriff? Yeah. So um, is that how you were able to escape a, a, pro- pros- a prosecution in prison time for the drug dealing and No, no, prostitute? no. That had that nothing to do with it. Well, so how did you? How did you escape uh, prosecution? Well, look at me. Okay. okay. Yeah. What do I look like? I look like Woody you look Allen. like an accountant, right? Yes. So the way In a I've, leather jacket. The way I've gotten away with a lot of stuff my entire life is they look at me. I'll give you an example. When I finally did get arrested on twelve B felony charges, this was in two thousand fourteen. I walk into court. The judge looks at me and just goes, "What's this guy doing here?" <laughs> If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Dave Slinky Bender. So what was the what was the adjudication of that case, that 2014 case, the felony case? Basically, if you are an upstanding citizen, you know, I two Ivy League degrees, right. Promise property, to be good, whatever, sure. they have a process where you pre-plead guilty to all the charges and then you do 18 months of rehab and whatever, and as long as you're a good boy they wipe all the charges out. And that's what happened with you? Yes. And you didn't have to go to prison? No. I, I did 10 days in the tombs. Okay. Well, that's that's nothing. Please. Which, by the way, I had heard all sorts of bad things about the tombs. I'm sorry they closed down because it really wasn't all that bad. I really? Was surprised, I, was, I was surprised how not bad the tombs uh, I had a private room and everything. For people listening around the country, the tombs is a city jail here in Manhattan that, that, recently, uh, that recently was shuttered. Uh, Dave Slinky Bender is here. So uh, since that 18-month uh, promise-to-be-good deal... Have you been able to keep your your nose clean, no prostitution, no drug dealing? I'll plead the fifth. (laughs) 
All right. No well, drug dealing. Okay. All right. That's fair. That's fair. Um, there's been uh, – and so tell people what you're doing now. What, what are you doing now career-wise? Um, I have a real estate practice, but I also have this website called utopiaguide.pl, and it's an escort review website. And – I do things. I promote some parties. Like, for example, if people want to meet me tonight, I'm going to be at the Experience Party at 108 Greenwich Street. And if you want to come and say, I'm here to party with Slinky, you're going to get special treatment. So what is the website for that? Oh, that the website? MindUtopiaGuide.pl. Gotcha. So um, you have been uh, something of a legend in the underground club scene for decades. What is the underground club scene? There's no real definition because some of the underground club scene isn't really underground. Like there was a place on East 7th Street called Cabin Down Below that's owned by guys who own a bunch of legitimate bars. And it was a legitimate bar with a liquor license. But they're in the music business and it was sort of their private little place for celebrities and people in the music business. Whatever. And if you just walked up there, you weren't getting in. Mm-hmm. But I knew someone who worked there. And he said, you know something? Come on. I'll introduce you. And that was sort of my entree into that place. And like, I'll give you an example of a story from there. So around 2011, um, it was New Year's Eve. And I'm watching TV. And there's this blonde woman with blue lipstick on. I'm like, who the hell is that? And my wife finally tells me, go, go out, whatever. So I'm at Cabin Down Below. And I'm sitting between Jim Carrey oh, wow. and the woman with the blue lipstick. Jenny McCarthy? I get up, I go to the bathroom, and my friend James Bellasini, who's an amazing artist for rock and roll, like album covers, goes, Slinky, how do you know Kesha? <laughs> so you're at, you're at this New Year's Eve party with Kesha and Jim Carrey. That's wild. So uh, talking with Dave Slinky Bender, it, in my experience going to, I don't know if underground's the right word, but certainly unauthorized bars, a lot of them would be after-hours spots, that because in the places where I was in, they didn't have 24-hour bars like, say, Atlantic City does or Las Vegas does, people didn't want to, or people that work out hours like me, or folks that wanted to still party after 4 a.m., they didn't want the party to end. And, I, you know, I, I got to hang out with uh, the mayor of New York a month or two ago, and that was the only issue that I brought up with him, is that I think it's terrible, because I know he's a night owl, that these bars are all forced to close at 4 a.m., and he said he agreed with me, but then I heard he tells everybody he agrees with them. Uh, I'm curious as to your view from a public policy standpoint is is 4 a.m. or 2 a.m. or sometime does it make sense to have a closing time? Yes, I think it does make sense to have a closing time because I mean, even though I've been in nightlife, you know, the saying nothing good happens after midnight, it's true to some extent, it's true. And if it's unlimited, I think as a public policy issue. Just too much bad stuff happens in these after. I'm not saying they should be all shut down or whatever, but I don't think the concept of just making them totally open to everybody is a good thing. Makes sense. Makes sense. Now, uh, let's talk about public policy. One of the things we're seeing more states and municipalities move towards is a legalized recreational marijuana. And uh, this has a lot of people concerned that this could create a situation with gateway drugs and you get uh, kids or young people used to chasing that high. It has a lot of other people 
concerned about things like impaired driving. And it has a lot of people who don't enjoy walking around the, the streets or the boardwalks or wherever and being smacked with uh, the smell of a skunk concerned about the quality of life in certain neighborhoods. What's your view of the movement towards, which is pretty soon going to be nationwide, I think, legalized recreational marijuana? I agree with you that I, I don't see any way that we're not going in that direction. But I have to I don't think it'll end well because you just have people who are walking around impaired 100 percent of the time. It's gone too far in that direction. Do you remember when we had off-track betting parlors yeah, right. and there was all sorts of nonsense and that's why they finally closed down? I think we're seeing some of the same thing among these unlicensed dispensaries. In the news, we've seen you know, there's a stabbing, there's a shooting, whatever, and where are they all happening? Outside of some smoke shop. So um, we should maybe pump the brakes on this push for marijuana everywhere. Recently, they opened up the legal dispensaries, but it's already everywhere. Right. Right. So and and you know the illegal dispensaries they get fined and then they just reopen again. Exactly. So what's the point? Right. I, I think it needs to be better regulated. I, I don't think marijuana should be illegal. Absolutely not. But I think we've sort of let it become a runaway trade. The uh, there was this big push now in the uh, presidential contest on the Republican side to bomb the Mexican drug cartels. Uh, Donald Trump has said this. Lindsey Graham has said it. A bunch of people have all said it, that these drug cartels in Mexico should be treated like terrorists. The Mexican government had said, no, please don't bomb us. That's not the good way to do things. I had a fellow on the other day from the Cato Institute, a doctor, very sophisticated guy, a very, very accomplished doctor. He said, no, the solution is not to bomb the drug cartels, his solution was legalize more of these hard drugs and better regulate these hard drugs and uh, at the same time do what you can to decrease the demand for them by pushing drug rehabilitation and education. Which of those two approaches, bombing the drug cartels or making everything legal, is closer to your view? Well, I think we've had a war on drugs for 50 years and we've been losing so, you know, if you do something for 50 years and you're losing, maybe it's not the right way to go. Mm. So I am much closer to the doctor who was on. The other thing you have to remember is anytime you make something illegal, only criminals profit from it. Right. Right. Well, that's, that's a fair point. One of the things that uh, people have raised that same argument about is prostitution. There's propos- in, we're being heard in Nevada right now, in the Nevada Talk Radio Network. There are counties in Nevada where uh, prostitution is legal. A lot of people are trying to do that same thing in New York. There's a bill in the legislature now that would do just that. A lot of other states are considering, considering similar appro- approaches. They say this would be safer. They say this would keep underage people from getting involved in prostitution. And this would be safer for the sex worker and for the John, and uh, that you're more likely to be able to tax it if it is legal. What's your view on, as having some experience in this, on legalization of prostitution? I'm in favor of decriminalization, but I think people think that legalization is a panacea, and I'll give you an example. There was a guy by the name of Dennis Hoff Mm. who ran the Bunny Ranch, which maybe is the most famous legal brothel in the history of the world. I knew him a little bit. Okay, so... About 15 years ago, he came to New York with a bevy of his workers, whatever, and he saw this comedy show by my friend Mickey the Milf, who was a sex worker and a madam, whatever. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, we all went to this suite of rooms they had at the Waldorf Astoria. I have never heard a group of sex workers complain about their boss really? as much as they hated Dennis Hahn. Really? So here you have 
a legal operation, and obviously it didn't result in better behavior by management. Uh, so when we say decriminalization versus legalization, what does that mean? What does that look like? Um, stop prosecuting, but don't try and make it a government enterprise. Well, that makes uh, that can that makes a lot of sense. When did adding the government to anything mm. result in improvement? Uh, that that is that's fair. Hey, um, w- one thing I want to ask you about before we go: uh, President Trump was on uh, with uh, John Katzmatidis last night, and he talked about the problems with human trafficking and sex trafficking because of the border situation. Is that real? Is that legitimate? Do you see a lot of problems with human trafficking and sex trafficking because of the porous border? I think we have a conflation of human trafficking and sex trafficking. Human trafficking is a real issue, but the very far right and the very far left try and make it as if all trafficking is sex trafficking. The reality is is a very small percentage. Now, look, one trafficked child for sex is not acceptable. But, for example, the FBI does an operation every year to find underage sex trafficked people. In 2022, they did 391 operations over two weeks. I think they had thousands of agents. They spent millions of dollars And they identified 80 potential victims where if you see the figures that are thrown out, they claim that between 100,000 and 300,000 children are sex trafficked in the United States. Well, they only found 80 80. potential victims. So I think that if you look at the human trafficking issue, it's much more prevalent in the restaurant industry. Like every time you call and have food delivered. I guarantee you there are people in that chain who have been trafficked. Uh, That's an interesting thing to keep in mind. Slinky, uh, enjoy talking to you. You're a fascinating guy. I'd love to have you come back and do an interview on my Racket Report podcast. We could talk about some mob stuff and some other things. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Frank. Dave Slinky Bender, uh, if you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to do so. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. Other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Tremendous. Love this song. Uh, Dance Monkey 
by the Australian singer Tones and I. Uh, you know, I think I remember why I wanted to play this. I came across this uh, list ranking the um, top songs in every, uh, the highest earning songs in every country. And I believe, I'm going to look now, uh, I believe this was one of the, um, no, actually, I, I don't know. I don't know why I wanted to play this, but I'm sure there was a good reason that I wanted to play it. But, and I'm glad I did, because this is, this is tremendous. Love this. All right, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I mentioned when we played A Wild One by uh, Bobby Rydell that uh, I had um, watched last night with my wife the the uh, second episode of season five of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is, I believe, on Amazon Prime. This is the uh, final season of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And whenever it's a final season... You always wonder that the show is going to take a silly turn or jump the shark. I have to tell you, I realize it's only the second episode. Both of the first two episodes have been phenomenal. And I really, I'm not going to give away anything with the story because if you haven't started the season yet or you uh, haven't started the series yet, the the way that they're telling the story, at least for the first two episodes, I think is so clever. This is the only thing I'll say. What they do is the storytelling they do in the episodes that I've seen so far involves a retrospective where they bounce back in time between the future and the past. Because most of the series, that hasn't been the case. Most of the series just takes place in the late 50s, early 60s. But in uh, the first two episodes, they go forward in time a little bit in a way that I think is just done masterfully. And I uh, I really think the show has been funny, but also dramatic when it needs to be. And the performances on this show, the um, performances by everybody involved in the show, Tony Shalhoub and uh, really just everybody, has been um, really, uh, really tremendous. So I can't say enough good things about uh, about uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, uh, season five, so far. I, I, I'm not sure how many episodes are available yet. I think it's at least um, four or five episodes that are out now. I'm only up to season two, um, the second episode. And so far, uh, I am enjoying it very much. We're liking this series so much, this season rather, that um, we actually watched that last night instead of Ted Lasso, which I think was available last night. So I, I'm really enjoying it. If you haven't checked it out yet, I... Highly recommend uh, that you consider Marvelous Mrs. Uh, Maisel. 800-848-9222 if there is anything that uh, you would like to comment on that we have talked about thus far. I mentioned earlier in the week when the news came of Tucker Carlson's firing that we would, you know, cover that a little bit each day. Well, Tucker Carlson has responded to his the news of his firing, he's released a statement. We're going to play that for you after the top of the hour, and then I want to get your reaction to this Tucker Carlson statement in the aftermath of his dismissal from Fox News Channel and what you think it means, if anything, for the future of the media, 
for his future, for the future of the political system, 800-848-9222. And speaking of Tucker Carlson, the fellow that's been filling in for him this week, or I guess has taken up his time slot this week is a better way to put it, Brian Kilmeade is going to join me in our last hour. I thought for sure he was going to say he couldn't join me this week because he knows I'm going to ask him about it. And I figured he'd be busy because he's doing primetime. He's still doing mornings. He's doing his radio show midday. He said, sure, I still want to come on. You can't say this guy is lazy. I'll tell you that. Until next hour, your influence counts. Use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. The man who was, until four days ago, the most watched man in all of cable news, broke his silence. He posted a short video online after his abrupt firing from Fox News earlier in the week. He, um, well, rather than me describe it, let me tell you exactly what he said. Good evening, it's Tucker Carlson. One of the first things you realize when you step outside the noise for a few days is how many genuinely nice people there are in this country, kind and decent people, people who really care about what's true, and a bunch of hilarious people also, a lot of those. It's got to be the majority of the population, even now. So that's heartening. The other thing you notice when you take a little time off is how unbelievably stupid most of the debates you see on television are. They're completely irrelevant. They mean nothing. In five years, we won't even remember that we had them. Trust me, as someone who's participated. And yet at the same time, and this is the amazing thing, the undeniably big topics, the ones that will define our future, get virtually no discussion at all. War, civil liberties, emerging science, demographic change, corporate power, natural resources. When was the last time you heard a legitimate debate about any of those issues? It's been a long time. Debates like that are not permitted in American media. Both political parties and their donors have reached consensus on what benefits them, and they actively collude to shut down any conversation about it. Suddenly, the United States looks very much like a one-party state. That's a depressing realization, but it's not permanent. Our current orthodoxies won't last. They're brain dead. Nobody actually believes them. Hardly anyone's life is improved by them. This moment is too inherently ridiculous to continue, and so it won't. The people in charge know this. That's why they're hysterical and aggressive. They're afraid. They've given up persuasion. They're resorting to force. But it won't work. When honest people say what's true, calmly and without embarrassment, they become powerful. At the same time, the liars who've been trying to silence them shrink, and they become weaker. That's the iron law of the universe. True things prevail. Where can you still find Americans saying true things? There aren't many places left, but there are some, and that's enough. As long as you can hear the words, there is hope. See you soon. I love that, okay? I agree with every single 
thing that he said there, his criticism of both parties, his criticism of cable news, his criticism of the big issues that were that are not being discussed on cable news. What he just said there is exactly why I don't watch cable news, with the exception until recently of two programs. Now I watch no cable news with the exception of one of one program. Because it's exactly as banal. I'm not sure if it's banal or banal. I think it's banal. It's exactly as banal. Uh, do you have an idea if it's banal or banal? No idea. Okay, I'm going with banal. It's exact. If everybody knows banal or banal, call me 800-848-9222. It's exactly as banal as Tucker Carlson made it out to be there, which is why I found his show so refreshing. And I always got the sense that when he did these dopey debate segments and that kind of thing, that he really didn't enjoy doing that. And, um, you know, the name-calling. Banal. Banal. Oh, it's banal. Banal. Not banal. Okay, it's banal. There you go. Thank you. So um, I uh, I really enjoyed that, and uh, he didn't give an indication of where he's going, but I really do think that that's exactly what is missing in cable news today. And by the way, whether you are a fan of Tucker's or not, I would love to hear from you at 800-848-9222. Without an ad hominem attack or without a genuflecting I love Tucker Carlson, I would love to hear what in that statement that I just played you, you disagree with. Tell me one single thing that you disagree with. The debates on cable news don't matter. They will be forgotten. The big issues aren't being discussed. And everything else there I find so true. Whether you hate Tucker, whether you love Tucker, whether you're somewhere in between, whether you don't care about Tucker, tell me what he said there that you find fault with. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Because as far as I'm concerned, Fox News has eliminated the only reason why anyone under 40 pays attention to Fox News. And we've seen that in the ratings. The ratings this week in the 25 to 54 demo, which is the money demo for primetime and Fox News, they are the lowest they have been since on Fox News since before September 11th. So in over 20 years, this is the lowest Fox News in primetime has done in the money demo. So um, as far as I'm concerned, the only TV news show that wasn't a full-time member of the World War III caucus, as Michael Tracy has referred to it, has been eliminated. And in recent months, Tucker Carlson became the only prominent figure in U.S. broadcast media who expressed skepticism of the U.S. war posture in both Ukraine and Taiwan. Tell me another prominent figure in U.S. broadcast media who took that view. And I don't think it's an accident that he's gone now because there's a lot of people that stand to earn a lot of money if this war in Ukraine continues and if we go to war with China over Taiwan and Tucker having three million people watch him at night saying, let's not go to war over Taiwan, let's not go to war over Ukraine, that's a real thorn in the side to the defense contractors and the military-industrial complex. And that's why I'm glad he said everything uh, that he said there. Uh, 800-848-9222. The point 
has never been that Tucker is perfectly consistent because I made some comments about Tucker yesterday and the day before that were mostly favorable. And I, I said certain things and people would email and say, oh, well, no, but he did this or he did that. Okay. Um, I, I, I think we're all hypocrites. But the point is not that he's been perfectly consistent or uh, pure hearted in any of the positions that he's taken. But the point is he was the only, only prominent figure on television who consistently encouraged skeptical questioning of military interventionism. Not a single other person, especially not on Fox News, was doing that or in, or is doing that, regardless of partisan or ideological complexion. Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal. He was the only voice. And now that voice has been silenced, and I think that's a real bummer for exactly the reasons that uh, that he just stated. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. You know, you know the irony there, though, is that Back in 2004, um, John Stewart was on CNN on a show that was co-hosted by Tucker Carlson, Crossfire. And Tucker worked at CNN before going to Fox News, before going to MSNBC. And essentially, he, John Stewart read Paul Begala, who was the Democrat that day, in the or the left winger in that chair, the riot act, and everyone mocked cable news because John Stewart was actually making some of the same arguments that Tucker Carlson did in that video. I'm going to take you back in time to 20 years ago and 19 years ago, to be precise, to uh, an era where. Tucker was a part of the problem, not a part of the solution. This is John Stewart getting read the reading the riot act to Tucker Carlson and Paul Begala. I made a special effort to come on the show today because I have uh, privately amongst my friends and also in occasional newspapers and television shows <laughs> mentioned uh, this show as being uh, uh, bad. <laughs> and, and and I wanted to I felt that that wasn't fair and I should come here and, and tell you that I don't it's not so much that it's bad as it's hurting America. <laughs> so I, I wanted to but come here today let me, and say, wait, wait, no, I just, no, let me here, here, here's just one, what I wanted to tell you guys. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> stop, 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 stop hurting America. Okay, now. Let me, and and let come work you, for us because we, as the people. How do you pay? The people, not, not well. Better than CNN, I'm sure. But you can sleep at night. See, the, the, the thing is, we need your, your help. You're, right now, you're helping the politicians and the, 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 the corporations, and we're left out Wait, there to mow them, our lawns. You just said we're too rough on them when they make mistakes. No, 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 you're not too rough on them. You're part of their strategies. You're partisan, um, what do you call it, hacks. Wait, John, wait, like, let, me, so, let me tell you something valuable that I think we do that I'd like to see you something do. Something valuable? You do. Yeah, no, it's politicians, when I, and I'll tell you, when politicians come on, Yeah. It's nice to get them to try and answer the question. And mm -hmm. in order to do that, we try and ask them pointed questions. I want to contrast our questions 
with some questions you asked John Kerry. If, if, you wanna, if you want to compare your show to a comedy show, you're more than no, no, welcome to. No, no, here's, here's the point. If, if, Kerry that's, doesn't have, if that's your goal, no, it's not. I would name for here's, us. I'd aim for here's Seinfeld. The problem. That's Kerry a very good show. Kerry will come on this show. He will come on your show. Let me suggest right. why he wants to. Well, we have civilized discourse. Well, here, here, here's, here's an example of civilized discourse. Here are three of the questions you asked, John. Yeah. You have a chance to interview the Democratic nominee. You asked him mm -hmm. questions such as, quote, how are you holding up? Is it hard not to take the attacks personally? Yeah. Have you ever flip-flopped, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. Didn't you feel like you got the chance to interview the guy? Why not ask him a real question instead of just suck up to him? Yeah, how are you holding up is, uh, is a real suck up. And, uh, uh, I actually was giving him a hot stone massage. It as, uh, sounded that way. As we were doing it. <laughs> it you know, it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about I felt my responsibility to the, you know, I, I didn't realize that, and maybe this explains quite a bit, no, the opportunity is that the news organizations look to Comedy Central for their cues on integrity. So. <laughs> So that whole rant went on for about another five or six minutes. It's very good television. In fact, I'm going to uh, link to the whole thing on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash Moranofan. But now, uh, and, and uh, by the way, that resulted in Tucker in Crossfire being canceled. That resulted in Tucker Carlson being fired from CNN because at the time, um, that went viral pre-Twitter, pre-Facebook. That clip went viral in an era when nothing went viral on the Internet. And everyone was saying, yeah, we agree, we agree. Now, I would kill for a show like Crossfire. As silly as it was and as apt as Jon Stewart's criticisms of it. Now, you watch MSNBC, you watch Fox News, you watch CNN. None of them have a show that has both points of view. None of them. And all of those networks used to. On MSNBC, you had Buchanan and Press. On CNN, you had uh, uh, Crossfire. On Fox News, you had Hannity and Combs. Now, what you get is a steady diet, with the exception of Smirconish, what you get is a steady diet of one view or another. So, Jon Stewart's not wrong about Crossfire or cable news in the early 2000s. But um, the problem two decades after he said that is that what has replaced it across so much of the TV landscape is somehow even less educational or informative. And I actually think it was amazing to me that when I listened to what Tucker Carlson said there, the first thing that came to me is what Jon Stewart said there. Because even though Tucker disagreed with Jon Stewart at the time, listen to what Tucker Carlson said and listen to what Jon Stewart said. Their criticisms are the same. The big issues are not being discussed. Nothing on cable news matters. And since Jon Stewart said that, it has gotten so much worse. Today, if you go on cable news, not that cable news is the be-all and end-all, but it does set the pace for how a lot of people get their news and information. There is a conflict-free opinion landscape. People turn on one channel to get left-wing news, turn on one channel to get right-wing news, turn on another channel to get boring news. And it's, it's dominated by programming featuring like-minded people ginning one another up even more to a rage about how bad the other party is. And I think, you know, what I'd love to see is Tucker Carlson and Jon Stewart have a discussion about that now, maybe on Jon Stewart's show. But uh, also it's interesting that Tucker said there are still a few places where you could get um, – I don't remember how he termed it. But, um, you know, I'm going to play you the Tucker comment again because I want you to answer the question 
what in this video do you disagree with? And then call me at 800-848-9222. Don't tell me if you like Tucker. Don't tell me if you don't like Tucker. I don't care. I want to know what specifically in this video you disagree with. So listen carefully and then dial 800-848-9222. Good evening. It's Tucker Carlson. One of the first things you realize when you step outside the noise for a few days is how many genuinely nice people there are in this country, kind and decent people, people who really care about what's true, and a bunch of hilarious people also, a lot of those. It's got to be the majority of the population, even now. So that's heartening. The other thing you notice when you take a little time off is how unbelievably stupid Stupid. most of the debates you see on television are. So that's point one. Unbelievably stupid how most of the debates you see on television are. They're completely irrelevant. Irrelevant. They mean nothing. In five years, we won't even remember that we had them. Trust me, as someone who's participated. And yet at the same time, and this is the amazing thing, the undeniably big topics, the ones that will define our future, get virtually no discussion at all. Point two, the big topics are getting no discussion at all. Can you disagree with that? War, civil liberties, emerging science, demographic change, corporate power, natural resources. When was the last time you heard a legitimate debate about any of those issues? It's been a long time. Debates like that are not permitted in American media. Point three, debates like that are not permitted on American media. Well, uh, this show is, I think, a notable exception to that. Both political parties and their donors have reached consensus on what benefits them, and they actively collude to shut down any conversation about it. Donor, point four, donors, the donor class and the two major parties agree on the big issues and will shut down conversation on anything that's critical of that. Suddenly, the United States looks very much like a one-party state. That's a depressing realization, but it's not permanent. Our current orthodoxies won't last. They're brain dead. Nobody actually believes them. Hardly anyone's life is improved by them. This moment is too inherently ridiculous to continue, and so it won't. The people in charge know this. That's why they're hysterical and aggressive. They're afraid. They've given up persuasion. They're resorting to force. But it won't work. When honest people say what's true, calmly and without embarrassment, they become powerful. At the same time, the liars who've been trying to silence them shrink, and they become weaker. That's the iron law of the universe. True things prevail. What did he say there that you disagree with? Whether you like Tucker or not, tell me. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222, open lines. Alan is in Queens. Hello, Alan. Uh, good morning, Frank. Uh, what he said, I'm not going to disagree with it, but he was actually, in my view, describing himself and Fox News. Uh, like for one example, to say uh, they don't talk about anything important. Now, in the face of America's problems, uh, uh, inflation, climate change, voting rights, they're babbling on about transsexuals. Yeah, well, which Alan, is such, he such said a that. tiny minority. Alan, that's of the first problem. thing he said. He says the debates are meaningless. I know because I've participated in it. So, yes. I, and so I think he, you're agreeing with everything that Tucker said. 
But I'm saying he's also that he's describing himself. Right. Agree. Okay. So I'm asking you to evaluate the comments he made rather than evaluate his former employer or um, or launch into an ad hominem attack. Just evaluate. Stick with. Well, no, no, attack but, him. I'm no, no, just no, no. saying. So stick with He, he was talking Alan, about Alan, himself Alan, and Fox Alan, News. Alan, Alan, yeah. he says. ABC, Alan, which Alan, only Alan. has a conservative. Alan, can you hear me or can you not hear me? Are we having prone yes, problems? Okay. Then pause you. one second and I'll let you say whatever you want. Okay, so, thank you. So, Alan, um, what he says there, he agrees with you that he is talking about himself. He is talking about cable news. The big issues aren't being discussed and nothing being debated on any of these idiotic shows matters. So rather than uh, use this as an opportunity to criticize him, why not repeat what he's saying and try to get media or just people in general to move more in the direction of kind of the, um, the, the direction that he's describing? Well, why, not, why doesn't all these stations... MSNBC, Fox, they're all part of Amen. And and uh, anyway, I get your point where he's not a, a stupid man, but don't you condemn a, any person, especially in journalism, which is supposed to uh, be objective and truthful, to participate in a lie? I mean, it, doesn't that... Uh, it sounds horrible. Well, I, I condemn uh, not people, but actions. But yes, if you're going to participate in a lie, I absolutely condemn and denounce that and have whenever asked about it. Especially a journalist. Like, there are cer- certain lies you might tell a person he looks good when he looks horrible. Or, but when a journalist lies and says uh, uh, that uh, uh, the election was rigged and he knows it wasn't rigged, this is a completely beneath contempt, well, in my you, view. Well, uh, Alan, can you tell me an instance of Tucker Carlson saying the election was rigged? Are you saying he didn't say yes. that? Yes. I thought he was part of the the Trump uh, uh, crew that uh, that was going to go into him well, and well and, tell me uh, tell me when and w- tell me what he said that was inaccurate. I don't listen to him religiously. So, so, but Alan, what you're doing is also a big part of the problem. You are making a judgment and broadcasting it to thousands of listeners about something that you can't even point to. Now, when I tell you I disagree with someone or that someone has lied, I can tell you what they specifically said and why it was dishonest. You're trying to ask people to take your word that Tucker's a liar. I ask you this very simple question, what did Tucker lie about? And you can't tell me. He lied about the election being fraudulent. When? What did he say? What did he say? And what did he say? His exact, you want me to quote him? Yes. He, he, well, he just tell me a date, the, and I'll look it up. I cannot give you verbatim, but everyone on Fox News, Bartolo and... and well, uh, no, 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 no. I'm not asking you about Bartolo. Oh, I'm not asking you about everyone on Fox News. Are you I'm telling at- me that he came up and he said that the election was true? No, I'm not Trump saying lost. that. I'm not saying that. Well, he did say on television that uh, Sidney Powell was crazy. And, yes. and didn't put her on. And uh, the text messages that have come out in this Dominion suit, uh, suit show that Trump lost the election, in his view. I'm asking you to show me an instance of him saying that the election was rigged. One instance. Just one. In, I got the impression that he Well, where did, did you get that impression? 
Are you telling me that he got up and said right away that Trump uh, Trump lost fair and square? No, no. He said I, it I, privately. I, I, but he, so, Alan, I'm asking you where you got the impression that he said the election was stolen. I got it from Fox News. So, Fox News. You mean to tell me that you're telling me right now that he said the election was on the up and up from day one? I I don't think he used the words up and up from day one. I'm telling you, he never said the election was stolen. If you can show me uh, an instance where he said the election was stolen or that— I could uh, be wrong, but that was the impression I got. And that's the problem. Rather than deal with facts, you're dealing with impressions that you get from cable news organizations that you don't like. That's the problem, Alan, and I appreciate the opportunity to have a respectful dialogue, but the level of ignorance that you just displayed and had no problem repeating to the masses is a textbook example of why the cable news uh, media matrix is melting the minds of America, and we have two solutions. We can get better and start talking about the big issues— in a way that challenges corporate power and the people that fund the major parties and the people that fund these media organizations, or we can all continue to get dumber. I'll give you one option. I'll give you one guess as to where I'd like to go. And that's why it is so important that voices like um, Michael Smirkanish, Tucker Carlson, Glenn Greenwald, Michael Tracy, um, Matt Taibbi continue to be heard. And unfortunately, with the exception of Smirkanish, none of those voices will be heard on cable news going forward. And that's the problem. That's the problem. And that's one of the reasons why I think the show that, um, that we're doing right now is so important because Glenn Greenwald's welcome here, Matt Taibbi's welcome here, but you know who else? Brian Kilmeade, who has a very different viewpoint than all those other people. Richard Bay. You know, uh, I I have no problem having on someone from NPR or someone from Russian state-affiliated media. I want everybody on this show. And I want to tackle the big issues. Yesterday, we did 25 minutes on democracy dollars and why the campaign finance system in this country is a boondoggle. Is there another radio show in America that's doing that, let alone a syndicated one? I think we need to all be better. And that's why I found Tucker's words there so refreshing. So, again, what I'm going to ask you is please call me and tell me not your opinion of Tucker Carlson or any of his former employers, Fox News, MSNBC, CNN. Tell me what he said there that you disagree with. 800-848-9222. Mike is in Greenport. Hello, Mike. Hello. What's on your mind, Mike? I disagree with the last part of what he said, that basically truth will win out. Well, uh, I hear you. uh, He did strike a pretty optimistic tone, uh, and I hope he's right, but I think your your pessimism is well-placed. So uh, I I hear that. I hear that. that, That's a fair fair criticism, Mike. Okay, yes. It didn't win out in China. So what makes him think it's going to win out here? Well, that's fair, Mike. Thank you. Um, As bad as the media discourse in this country is, as bad as the so-called free press in this country is, we're a long ways from being communist China. You're at least allowed to have people that are supposedly members of political parties. 
and uh, different political parties and not get arrested. So that's uh, that's my two cents. All right. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. If you want to comment on anything we're covering, eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. The other side of midnight with Frank Morano. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Can one guy be? I kissed her and she kissed me. Like the fella once said, Ain't that a kick in the head? The room was completely black. I hugged her and she hugged back. Like the sailor said, Quote, Ain't that a hole in the boat? My head keeps spinning. I go to sleep and keep grinning If this is just the beginning My life is gonna be beautiful I've sunshine enough to spread It's just like the fella said Tell me quick The great Dean Martin Ain't that a kick in the head? A great song. I, I didn't. I almost didn't want to start talking so I could just hear the uh, the whole song. You know, I'm sorry if I was a little ornery with Alan. I didn't mean to be, but I'll tell you. Yesterday was another day, very very sleep challenged. If, if you missed any of yesterday's show in the morning, yesterday morning show, I described a situation where I was awoken at the crack of noon by a tree removal company loudly chainsawing trees in my neighbor's yard and shoving them into a wood chipper. And even though, I mean, this is our the house adjoining us, this is not the house behind us that is being knocked down. This is the one right next to us. And they are chopping down trees like crazy. You can always tell the people from Brooklyn by how much they dislike trees. You remember that... Um, that book and film, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Well, that's why it's in the fiction section, because Brooklyn hates trees. OK, uh, my, and I could say this. My father is from Brooklyn, hates trees. And at least he tells people that I, I see him quietly on the sly caring for trees and things of that nature. But he hates trees, tries to get everybody to take down trees. And that's how the Brooklyn people are. That's fine. Um, and that's my neighbors, of course, from Brooklyn. They're taking down trees left and right. Oh, my goodness. This is what I woke up to yesterday. But it's so much worse than just the chainsaw, or two days ago. What's so much worse than just the chainsaw is that then two of the guys, I don't know if it was two workers or the boss and one of the guys that works there, they start screaming at each other for 10 minutes. And we're on this neighbor's group chat, and everyone's saying to each other, does anybody else hear what's going on? And these guys are getting really vicious. They're talking about... Uh, one uh, one another's wives. They're talking about drug use. They're talking about b- being fat. They're talking about financial stuff. I mean, when I say screaming, these guys and these are the guys that work with one another. I want to be very clear. They're screaming and cursing like crazy. So good luck trying to go to sleep when that's going on. And obviously, I can't sleep, so I go downstairs. And my wife explains to me, "Do you hear what's going on?" And I said, "How could you not hear?" I think Marley Matlin could hear what's going on. So 
I uh, I said, yes. Well, she said, I asked one of these guys to chop down the tree from our neighbor's yard that's coming on our property. And uh, and he did. But now we have all these tree branches in our backyard. But I just heard the screaming match and the cursing match that went on outside. Um, I'm not going out there. Can you go talk to them and maybe give them $20 and see if you can get them to remove the tree branches, which are now littering our backyard? Now, keep in mind, at this point in the day, I am firmly, first of all, I don't even know what's going on. I'm, I'm still Halfston God. I uh, am in my bathrobe, pajamas, and uh, socks. And I still, you know, I'm shaking off the cobwebs because I've now been awoken after only four or five hours of sleep. And I'm still having a difficult time processing all this. But I guess she didn't want to go talk to them because they had just finished the screaming match. And she doesn't know what these lunatics that are going to scream openly and curse openly in front of a residential neighborhood are going to do when someone says, hey, by the way, can you remove that tree branch? I said, yeah, I'll go talk to them. So and then I have to come back in the house because I didn't understand her instruction. I said, wait a minute. Are you asking me to tell them to remove the branch that's already in our yard or remove the branch that's on the tree next to our house? And she said, no. Do you see the giant tree branches that are in our backyard now on the ground? That's what they have to remove. I said, okay, okay, I got it now. And she said, do you have $20? I said, no, absolutely not. She said, okay, I think I have $20. She goes and retrieves $20, hands me the $20. And I have to go, again, I want you to understand, I'm in the middle of a residential street, pretty crowded residential street, and I have to go chase this guy. They look like they're about done. And I, the truck is still there. And so I go up to the truck, and one of these guys, and keep in mind, I have no idea who, which of these guys was screaming. And I think there were two of them. One of these guys is in the driver's side seat, And I'm standing on the sidewalk, essentially barefoot in my bathrobe. And one of these guys is in the driver's side seat, sitting there on the telephone. Now, what am I going to do? Knock on the window while he's on a phone call? So no. I politely stand there for three and a half minutes while this guy finishes his phone call. And I'm holding the $20 very visibly. And I, I, I signal, hey, hey. And nice enough guy, gray-haired guy. And he says, uh, yeah, what can I do for you? And I said, hey, I, I, I don't know what, what's going on, but I, I think one of, I was wondering if uh, you might be able to remove this tree branch that's now on the ground in our backyard. And she, he says, yeah, 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 hang on a second. And he calls another guy. He says, hey, Nick. This guy Nick comes over. And he says, yeah, there's something about a tree branch you forgot to remove. And now I don't know if he forgot to move it. I don't know what his deal was with my wife. I don't know about a conversation that he had. And I said, hey, I live next door. I'm in that blue house. And um, I was wondering, and he said, oh, oh, yeah, there was a nice lady that lived there. Yes. I said, oh, I'm joking around. Yeah, that's my wife. I don't know why she's so nice. She's married to me. And uh, I said, hey, is there any way that uh, I could get you to remove that tree branch from our backyard? And he says, yeah, yeah, I forgot. Nice as can be. And so I I throw $20 in his hand. He not only removes the tree branch with his partner, who I think was the guy that he was screaming and fighting with, but he um, puts all the furniture that was on our back patio back into place, which which was really nice. But, of course, the big loser is me, 
who is now just as awake as can be. So then, that was two days ago. Yesterday, noon, again, these guys are on a schedule. It's a conspiracy. You want to talk about conspiracies to assassinate presidents or rig elections? Now, it's the guy behind me's turn. They have these massive bulldozing construction machines and excavators knocking down the house behind me. And you try and sleep through that. So that they knocked down that house, and now we're in store for about eight weeks of construction, which is just wonderful. And uh, my wife said to me, again, I, you got to use the sound machine we got. We had one. We have one in the bedroom. And my friend um, Tracy Fontano, who's married to my friend Frankie, they got us one as well. Tracy got us one. So we actually have two of these sound machines. My wife swears by these. I hear, you know what I hear when I hear the sound machine over an excavator? I hear, and an excavator. To me, it's just more noise. But she says it drowns it out, so that's what we'll try tomorrow. But it's been, it has been a journey trying to uh, sleep through that. In any event, um, I'm looking forward to this weekend. we got the AC report coming up next. Uh, well, not next, but next hour. And I am looking forward to this weekend uh, getting back to Atlantic City because it's going to be our first trip there of the whole year. And uh, I really love my favorite thing to do in Atlantic City is walk the boardwalk and see the sights and window shop, get, you know, get a snack, get a drink, maybe smoke a cigar and just check things out and uh, go into place to place. But unfortunately, according to my wife, the days that we're going to be there, um, Friday and Saturday, it's going it's supposed to rain. So I'm trying to make a list of good things or fun indoor things to do with children because we're going to have Carmine with us when it rains. And unfortunately, the aquarium there is temporarily closed. I got a few good suggestions, but um, if you have a suggestion, please email me, frank.morano at wabc uh, uh, at wabcradio.com because I don't know what um, – I don't know what we're going to do with uh, with him in the rain. We, we are going to go to the Rainforest Cafe, which is cool. It's like you're having lunch or dinner in the rainforest, and there's animals and sounds, and it sounds like the sound machine my wife uses to go to sleep, and uh, that's a pretty cool thing for a child. But I'm looking forward to getting there and uh, seeing some of my old friends and uh, finally uh, trying that restaurant that I've been wanting to try. All right. 800-848-9222. Steve is in Manhattan. Hello, Steve. All right, Frank, and I know you love these stories. They're, they're pie fill of your show, and I got in early tonight because I want to beat Brian. Thank goodness. Brian, Thank goodness. Yeah, before Brian hogs the show. And um, while well, I'll touch on Tucker and the trees coming down, timber in your backyard, um, neighbors, yeah, they're nice if you're throwing a barbecue and you're filling them up with beer and everything, but they're not really uh, nice when it comes to the branches coming into your backyard or something like that. And the workers... If it falls in your backyard, they consider it like it's yours now. It doesn't. They don't think like it. Well, we knocked it over there. We cut it down. And the tree guys used to be very good, and um, that's what they, that's what they do. If it goes in your yard, it's yours. That's the way they think about it. Now, the thing with Tucker, um, the only thing I remember about him was he's bow tie Tucker, and I, I never thought much of him. I never listened to him in the last several years. Apparently, he changed. He became right. more. Uh, you know, appealing to conservative. It's an act, just like people well, realize. it's not a conservative re- thing. It's a populist thing. He became more appealing to populists. That's for sure. 
Yeah, but he did it for his audience. He was playing to his audience. The, the same thing with these hosts now who call DeSantis names. They're phonies. People are finally finding out that the politicians and hosts who call DeSantis names are phonies. Some of the stuff they were saying about him are idiotic. It's all, not close to Buchanan territory yet, but it was getting pretty close there. And the thing with uh, um, what Tucker said, I— I disagree with him because uh, things will change, but I disagree with him for a different reason. He's uh, he's emphasizing things will change and get no, they're going to get worse. Mm. The things are getting better are not going to happen. It's going to get worse because the hard left is virtually taking over this country through the ballot box. That's how you take it over. And eventually they're going to win all the elections and you will never be able to reverse anything. I know I'm the one who's really been banned from talk radio, but I made sure they didn't ban me. I made sure I kept talking. When I brought up legal immigration, illegal immigration, race quotas, big juicy welfare programs, that was the end of Steve from Manhattan anywhere in talk radio. But I made sure that I got on the radio and got the message out. Yes, th- thank goodness for that, Steve. Appreciate that. 800-848-9222. Pamela is in New Jersey. Hello, Pamela. Uh, good morning. Um yeah, about the truth comment. Uh, yeah, the truth sometimes comes out eventually historically, but it, then the damage is done, kind of like looking back at Rome. Uh, so I kind of dis- disagree, but agree with that one. And, um, you know, today I had an interesting experience. I was in the laundromat, and there's a lady there that I just talked to casually here and there, and she asked me how I was. So, you know, somebody asked you how you are. You know, I'm not always going to say fine. So um, see that's the know, difference just, between us. I just say fine. I assume no one actually anybody. No one cares. But I hear you. You're at least more honest. Well, sometimes you get you know it, it makes the time go faster in a laundromat if you chit chat. So I just said, well, I'd be better if things were calmer politically. And oh my goodness, all of a sudden she was an older woman. And she said, well, I have my family and I have made a pact. We will not talk politics when we get together. And I said, so what is there to talk about? I said, if you're not going to talk to your family and friends about politics and in a calm manner, you know, I mean, besides the weather and, of course, family matters or whatever, or joking around, I mean, that's what makes life. And, and you could maybe persuade someone to think mm. your way or maybe you may change your mind. I said, isn't that what life is? And, oh, she just shut down like a robot. You know, we're, a, a lot of us are uh, people in America are walking around like robots, like I'm not allowed to talk. I'm you, not know, allowed I, to talk. I, you know, I so agree with that, uh, Pamela. And it kills me because uh, I love talking to people that I disagree with uh, because I learn a lot. And, yeah, sometimes I do change my mind. But even if I don't, I learn why people may have a different opinion uh, than what I do. Thank you, Pamela. And I think, it, you know, I've used this example before. I, I attended a, um interfaith wedding one time, and the Monsignor, that was one half of the duo performing this ceremony, said there was a Jewish Jewish uh, groom or, or bride, I don't know who was who, a Jewish groom and a Catholic bride. And he said so many times couples make the mistake when they come from different faiths of having uh, – faith not be a part of the conversation. And I give these people credit for wanting faith to be a part of their relationship. And I feel the same way with electoral politics. I have been to family functions where the host is it tells people, oh, don't talk politics. We don't want anybody fighting. You don't have to fight. And the examples that I've given, the tips that I've given, and these are not from me, 
but brighter sources than me. The tips that I've given about how to have meaningful discussions about politics or government at Thanksgiving or whenever you see your relatives, people that you ostensibly at least like, if not love. One, don't lecture. Two, and I try to do these on the radio too. I guess sometimes I'm more successful than others. Don't lecture. Ask questions. Leading with questions instead of statements of fact is the best way to create conversation. Facts are loaded with associations, and that often leads down the rabbit hole of sources. Asking questions requires the person you're discussing the situation with to examine their reasoning and their values first. Three, humanize. Humanize. The person you're talking to is a person. It's easy to pigeonhole people into categories when talking about politics, but issues are complex. So are people. So try to find common ground, even if it's only tangentially related to the subject. If you both love uh, gelato, talk about, start with that. Make that part of the conversation. And then summarize their position. Before responding, try to articulate the position of the other person better than they did. That signals that you're listening and it validates their opinion. Then um, I think you need to instigate some sort of doubt because we're more likely to question our own beliefs if we feel that the doubt comes from ourselves. So to spur an investigation to someone else's beliefs, feign ignorance, even if you're an expert, and ask them to explain their position to you. By asking someone to do that, to define their own beliefs, any blind spots will become clear, not just to you, but to them. And it makes them more likely to engage in a deeper investigation. And then lastly, and this is probably the most important thing, if things get too heated, you got to find a way out. There's no reason to come to blows over tax reform or the debt ceiling vote. So you have to uh, make, you don't make the conversation about winning or losing. Try to build a bridge between your points of view that you can both live with. And if you have the courage to change your mind, which I think is very admirable, or concede on something, say it. Chances are, whomever you're debating with, they'll, they'll concede on something as well. So uh, I agree with Pamela wholeheartedly. I think it's important, especially with your loved ones, make, make politics a part of the conversation. Nothing wrong with that. 800-848-9222. Uh, Bill, Marianne, Walt will try and get to you. One, two, three, four, five open lines if you want to comment on anything we're discussing. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is Pitbull and Lil John. Let me remind you, if you ever want to know what kind of songs we're uh, playing, 
you can have you can just go to our Facebook group. Uh, just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's uh, M O R A N O Radio Fans and Haters, and we'll post the music that we play right after the show. Let me tell you about this. The um, I was just in Atlanta last week. Passengers claim a Southwest Airlines flight from Atlanta to Houston, or as we New Yorkers like to call it, Houston, was grounded for an hour because no one would admit to spilling rice on the floor. An hour! Eventually, flight attendants stopped grilling the group and cleaned it up themselves, but not before asserting that, quote, nobody was raised right. You know what? You know what I say? Shame on these passengers and good for the flight attendants. There, If you make a mistake and you drop something, pick it up. If for whatever reason you didn't pick it up, at least admit it. But to you know, make the flight attendants try to solve a mystery of who spilled the fried rice in the aisle. They, and they inconvenience everybody until someone cleans the rice. I don't blame them for demanding someone confess. So the flight attendant did the right thing. They cleaned it up. They cleaned up the mess themselves while complaining to all the passengers, understandably in my view, that if only the passengers had stood stood up one by one saying, this is what one um, person said who tweeted, I am spillicus. Somebody should have just said they spilled it. Right? All right, 800-848-9222. Clean up after yourself. That's the lesson. You know, as I was yesterday, I was in the kitchen, and there's just gunk, black gunk on the counter. And I assume, all right, somebody spilled a couple of drops of coffee before. Let me grab a napkin and wipe it up. Sure enough, it was dried. So somebody had spilled something, this brown liquid, I don't know if it was some kind of sauce or some kind of coffee on the counter and then just left it and didn't clean up. And you really make it makes you wonder what people do at home. I mean, do they just assume, oh, well, I don't have Frank Morano at my house. I do have him at the workplace. He'll just clean up after us. So, well, we don't care about just making a mess everywhere. It's so disrespectful to others to behave that way. And I don't want to hold myself out as a neat freak because I'm not. I mean, I'm not sloppy, but I am a clutterer. But I would never do this. Just leave these messes for people to come, you know, especially strangers, which is the case of this um, flight attendant and the passengers. Never do that. 800-848-9222. Bill is in Montclair. Hello, Bill. Uh, okay, Frank. Uh, by the way, the phone goes off occasionally. I got a new one, so let me do this fast. Uh, I know politics. I go back to uh, Dewey Beats Truman, Dewey Ballantyne, whatever. Law firm went out of business about five years ago, and I can do all, all the rest of the presidents. The only reason I'm, I think the world of you and Tucker, the fact of the matter is uh, Peter King, uh, Dick Morris, and a number of others will tell you you're so wrong uh, on the war with uh, with Putin uh, has has to be stopped. Uh, and uh, and as I as I said, and by the way, uh, surprise you never listen to Dick Morris, who's a a brilliant guy, as is Bill O'Reilly, who, who now has the largest news agency 
uh, in the country, independent news agency. Uh, you should listen to him at 9 o'clock at night, and he's on a number of other times. Yeah, thank you. But I'm saying, uh, talk that uh, At time, you- though. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I didn't necessarily ask for an examination of all my own views, but I'm glad you gave it to me anyway. Until next hour, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, coming up in about uh, 20 minutes, we're going to do the AC report, which I'm very excited about because we have a, a an academic on, a professor at Purdue University, Dr. Ronald Stevens. He's got a new book out about Chicken Bone Beach. If you don't know what Chicken Bone Beach is, then you are in for a treat because this is not only a an Atlantic City story. This is a st- story that has to do with the civil rights movement. And the story of Chicken Bone Beach really, in many ways, it sums up the story of blacks in America over the last hundred years. So wherever you are in the country, you're going to get, I hope anyway, I hope you're going to find the next uh, subject we do pretty interesting. I'm excited. I'm in Atlantic City this weekend and uh, excited to be back first time of 2023. Speaking of Atlantic City, big shout out. To Talk Radio 1400 WOND. I am uh, really honored to be on that station with such a terrific lineup of personalities, as I am uh, all the ever expanding lineup of stations that we are on all over the country. Uh, WLVL in Western New York. KWAM in Memphis, the mighty 990, and WUCT, as well as WCBM in Baltimore, all our affiliates, all great stations, and I'm honored. uh, The Nevada Talk Radio Network, I don't want to omit anyone, but I um, am honored to be on all of our uh, our affiliates, especially WOND. Now, we all know what the phrase, uh, well, maybe you don't. Have you heard the phrase, let's go, Brandon? Now, I didn't know what that phrase meant for the longest time. I would see people tweeting about it. I would see people say it uh, on the radio or on television. And I had no idea what it meant. And then I actually learned from watching a segment on Tucker Carlson's program what it means. It's basically a code word. It, it, see, the phrase, let's go, Brandon, was from a viral NASCAR race in October of 2021 And it's essentially code for saying Joe Biden. Basically, when someone says, let's go, Brandon, they're saying F Joe Biden. And um, there was a um, basically the the way it came to be is there were these NASCAR fans and they were all screaming F Joe Biden chanting. Right. And the. Interviewer interviewing this race car driver. The driver happened to be named Brandon, 
And the interviewer said to the driver, oh, you hear all these fans saying, let's go, Brandon. Now, they weren't saying, let's go, Brandon. They were saying, Joe Biden. But they they have now adopted that as a code word of saying, um, F Joe Biden. And I find it to be really coarse. And I, and I wouldn't want to say that about any person, especially not any president. I think every president deserves respect and nobody should be cursed at or or mocked in that in that manner. I have no problem joking around with the president, poking fun at a president, but even presidents that I really find significantly objectionable, people like George W. Bush and others, I would never speak that way about it. I think it's so disrespectful. But anyway, the uh, that's what it means. And, uh, you know, a year or so ago, I was in Atlantic City. I was playing, I think, three-card poker at the Hard Rock. And my cousin Andrea, who's very, very progressive, she's sitting on my left appropriately. And appropriately, I guess, I never thought about this till now. Another fella is sitting on my right and he's got a Let's Go Brandon t-shirt. And he had a hat on that either said Let's Go Brandon or or a pro-Trump hat or something. And the dealer... The hard rock dealer, I guess, was not familiar with that phrase, let's go, Brandon. And she said, she was making conversation with all of us, very nice lady. And she says, oh, is that the singer that's performing here tonight? And um, my cousin Andrea rolls her eyes and she's saying, nope, nope, it's uh, a slang way of basically cursing out the president. And, I, you know, I'm trying to defuse the situation. And then this guy is so proud to be able to say to say that and that's what it means and you know the dealer didn't reveal her politics but i got the sense that she wasn't crazy about it either she just kind of smiled and kept dealing we all moved on so there are a lot of people that don't know what let's go brandon means so for the purposes of this story for the purposes of this discussion you need to know what let's go brandon means does everybody understand that let's go brandon means f joe biden okay Well, a mother of two students in Howard City, Michigan, has filed a lawsuit claiming the public school district violated her son's First Amendment rights by asking them to remove sweatshirts with the slogan, Let's Go Brandon, on them. I'm going to give you more details in a second, but those are the facts of the case. There's been a lawsuit filed in Michigan claiming that their First Amendment rights were violated because they had to remove sweatshirts with the slogan, let's go, Brandon, on them. How do you feel about that? Should you as a child, as a student, public school, be able to wear a shirt that is code word for F. Joe Biden? Yes, no, maybe. What do you think? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. I'll get uh, these fellows to weigh in in a second. But this lawsuit filed on Tuesday against the Michigan Tri-County Area Schools District, an assistant principal and a teacher claims that that their school censored her son's peaceful, non-disruptive politics by having them take off the sweatshirts, causing them to suffer irreparable injury. So we know what Let's Go Brandon means. The slogan conveys that opposition to Joe Biden with that four-letter word. 
just sanitized to express the sentiment without using actual profanity or vulgarity. That's what the lawsuit says. In February of 2022, the mother's sixth grade son wore a Let's Go Brandon sweatshirt to Tri-County Middle School. The assistant principal at the school stopped him in the hallway and asked him to take it off, according to the lawsuit, telling him the slogan was equivalent to the F word. He took it off because he feared getting in trouble. The suit said the student wore the sweatshirt again in early 2022 and was asked by a teacher to take it off, adding, quote, I've told you before and won't tell you again. In May, the student's older brother, an eighth grader at the same school, was removed from class and asked to remove his Let's Go Brandon sweatshirt, according to the suit. So the dispute centers on whether the phrase constitutes profanity. The superintendent of the Tri-County Area Schools didn't respond to calls for comment. In June, the school district said in a letter released by its lawyers, the district prohibits clothing or styles of expression that are vulgar or profane, concluding, let's go, Brandon, is transparent code for using profanity against the president. After let's go, Brandon, took hold as this kind of an inside joke, it spurred some controversy as it spread to the floors of Congress and across T-shirts. And this is just this dispute is just the latest clash over students' rights rights to express themselves at school through their clothing. The others have involved make America uh, make America great again. Others have involved Black Lives Matters T-shirts. Tri County Middle School is the only public school for middle graders in this city in Howard City. The school's dress code prohibits clothing that is obscene or that contains messages or illustrations that are lewd, indecent, vulgar, or profane. The suit said that standard has been inappropriately applied to enact a ban against Let's Go Brandon. So I don't want to know your politics. I, I don't, for the purposes of this discussion, I don't care. I want to know is the school right or wrong to prohibit the phrase. Let's go, Brandon. And why? And um, I'm going to give you my take in, in a second. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Uh, Matt Blaze, you have an opinion? Yeah, I think because of what it means that it, that they should take it off, that they shouldn't be allowed to wear it. Okay, that's one vote for no because of what it means. Uh, what about you, Mr. Uh, Mr. Kenneth? Yeah, I agree with that as well. You agree with that? You know, that was my initial uh, reaction. And I think that um, I that was because one understand I really hate the phrase and that people want to curse out any president, but that was my initial react reaction, which is saying, all right, it symbolizes f Joe Biden. It's just another way of saying it. Should you be able to should it, should you be able to wear it? Probably not. And then I thought about this, and then I, I thought a great deal about. Profanity and freedom of speech. Now, I don't think anybody is questioning the school's policy against profanity and profane words. But I think once you cross over into banning codes for profane words, I think that is a different ballgame. I think if a shirt has the F word on it, absolutely ban it. But 
if it's just a code word without the actual F word, I think you're really going down a dangerous road in doing that because then how far do you go in banning things? And I was reminded, you know, I don't think, and I'm guessing that almost every school that has a similar standard, you can't say um, the word ass as applies to not a donkey but a body part. And you shouldn't be able to say that, right? That's not appropriate for school. However, the about um, 25 years ago, all the rage in pro wrestling and the world of wrestling merchandise merchandising was a T-shirt that said Austin 316. To this day, those Austin 316 T-shirts are among the best-selling wrestling shirts uh, of all time. Have uh, one. You uh, you have one. I think I have one, too. I have an, the original one from uh, Right. Like I think I do also. <laughs> I mean, I, I have so many clothes I can't. But what Austin 316 means is, and it came from an interview that, uh, that uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin did after winning the King of the Ring, uh, or, or at least beating Jake Roberts at the King of the Ring. He says, Austin 316 says, I just whipped your blank. So when you're wearing a T-shirt that says Austin 316, what you're really saying is Austin 316 says, I just whipped your blank. And I don't think you I don't think those shirts should be banned. I think we should ban in schools only, only in schools, actual curse words, not code words for curse words. And, you know, I was thinking because there's another word, a very horrible word that uh, the C word, basically. And that is uh, just a horrible name to call a woman or any person. And it's alleged that Tucker Carlson called uh, someone that. And the way of saying that, the code word for saying that is see you next Tuesday. And I was thinking, should you be allowed to have a T-shirt in school that says see you next Tuesday? And I think my answer to that is yes, too. I think we should ban actual curse words not code words for curse words in school. But I, I respect where Matt Blaze and Kenneth are coming from. My question for you is, what do you think? Did the school do the right thing? If you were the judge in this, I don't know if it's going to be a jury trial or a judge, it, but the judge will have the, I'm sure the school district will make a motion to dismiss. If you were the judge, would you throw this case out or would you let it go to trial? Where do you come down? Should Let's Go Brandon be banned from shirts and schools. I don't think it should. I also don't think Make America Great Again should. I don't think Black Lives Matter should. should. I don't think anything should except actual curse words or, you know, some sort of pornography. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Robert in Pearl River. Hello, Robert. Yeah, hi, Frank. How you doing? Um, you know, the lawyers just didn't snap their fingers and say, oh, let's give it a shot. And, and you know, it's a question mark. They know it's illegal and a violation of freedom of expression, expression and freedom of speech. So, I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. Coca-Cola, right? We know Coca-Cola is a soda. But if we change the words to C-O-K-A, cola, referring to cocaine, we could start another group saying that, oh, this is illegal. So it goes on and on and on and doesn't stop. Um, banning these shirts are illegal, though, and it violates freedom of speech. So that's why the lawyers are taking the case. 
Uh, if it would have expletive or curse words like FU, that's a different story, pornography. But in this case, uh, it's illegal what they're doing, preventing them, <clears throat> the students from doing it. So that's why the lawyers are taking it. So well, that's my, uh, Robert, I, I happen to agree with you on what your your determination was. I, I think you do have the freedom of speech, uh, freedom of association, freedom of expression to say, uh, let's go, Brandon, on a shirt. I mean, why you'd let your eighth grader go to school with uh, that on his shirt, I don't understand. I'll tell you, my son is not doing that, oh, whoever the president is. There's no code words saying F uh, President uh, George P. Bush. He'll probably be president by then, God forbid. Um, but, uh, you know, I think you have a right to wear it. Where I part company with you is that's why the lawyers take the case. There are millions of lawyers in this country, literally. You'll find a lawyer to take almost any case. I mean, they get sanctioned if they bring something frivolous. But this, uh, this is murky enough that I don't think people would find it frivolous. We had a lawyer that filed a lawsuit over boneless chicken wings recently. So don't tell me, oh, well. A lawyer took the case. That means it's got merit. That is a very poor litmus test, in my judgment. 800-848-9222. Mike is in Woodside. Hello, Mike. Hey, Frank. The uh, thing is, the school has to set the rules plainly. There has to be an entire rule that comes out. I was I was on a PTA or a, or a high school up in Buffalo, and, and the rules were plainly set, what they could wear, what they could not wear. And the school my kids went to was a school for immigrants. So you had people with, you know, full facial covering from Muslim countries mm. and other places. And, and they had specific rules and guidelines that they sent out. Uh, it was uh, Grover Cleveland Elementary, so it's still there. It's uh, one of the nicest uh, high schools you'll ever find in terms of the exterior look of the school. Looks like something, uh, you know, that, that school building that was in uh, uh, the, uh, um, uh, what is it, the sky is falling. Uh, the uh, Anyway, that cartoon movie. But, uh, uh the, the entire thing is, so long as the parents and the teachers agree with the school board and they set standards and the parents communicate it, then it's clear to everybody. Now, anything that has to do with violence, any violent item, a firearm well, display. But, but, but there's no like violence. Knife, there's, that's a different story. Yeah, but there's yeah. no violence here. Yeah, but, but however, it could be assumed as a political movement, and therefore it is a right to freedom of expression. What if that kid is a member of the Young Republicans Association? Or something right, that's but, cool, young but I, I, again, so that's there's no prohibition on, as far as the rules that they're quoted in the lawsuit anyway, there's no prohibition on political shirts. The prohibition is on vulgar and profane shirts. I guess the question is, does this meet the standard of profanity? My answer is no, and it sounds like I think you agree. Yes, basically, it's just like back when we were probably in high school. You know, the, if you had a, a, a bud T-shirt with, you know, the uh, uh, marijuana leaf or something, right? Like that, they were right. trying. That's a great that example. That, that, that's well, things, that's a know? great example. Thank you, Mike. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Jim is in Manhattan. Hello, Jim. Yes. Good morning. You know, if you're using the F word, that's profanity. Let's, mm-hmm. let's go, Brandon. Does not have profanity in it. It's a political slogan. It's it's hostile, but it doesn't. It has clean words, and I, I think this is basically political censorship. You know, schools are pushing behavior that some people consider to barren or profane, and they're basically banning a slogan that says, "I don't like the guy who's the leader of that particular point of view," and not allowing the other point of view to be heard. And obvious to me, it's obvious that this is not so clear cut that it shouldn't be heard in court. Yeah, I I, I uh, agree with most of what you said there, Jim. The, where I part company from you is I don't think this is necessarily some plot on the part of the uh, 
the politically left-wing assistant principal and teacher to subvert conservatism and subvert republicanism. Obviously, the assistant principal and the teacher know that by not allowing the kid to wear a shirt, they're not going to make him into a liberal Democrat. I think it's an instance of the assistant principal and the teacher just being overcautious and overly rigid in the adherence to their ban on profanity. And I can understand where they're coming from in this day and age, but I think they're wrong. 800-848-9222. Joe is in the Queens. Hello, Joe. Yeah, I want to bring up two points, but it is interesting. A a basketball player friend that actually works for the deep state and has had meeting in the Pentagons, he would uh, end text messages on unrelated stuff with FJB, you know, but I have two points I want to bring up. One is if, you know, under Mao in China, you had some sort of coated shirt against Mao, you do wonder, you know, what they would do in, in the schools of, in, in, under Mao. Right. Well, again, did. but that's under a communist dictatorship. We're supposedly right, not my, a communist dictatorship. Right, right. Here's my second point, though. In high school, I picked up a newsletter. I never read, a, you know, that the school – you know, people from the newspaper published extremely offensive uh, stuff in it. And uh, at the time, I'm a person who read The Inquirer, you know. So uh, so I just never looked at a newsletter again. But suppose a shirt offends other students. It's in your face as opposed to like a newsletter where you don't have to, you, you know, you could just like throw it out. So that would be a question mark. What about something that does offend other students where it's right in your face, that type of thing? That would be my question. Yeah, it's a good question, and I don't have an answer for it, Joe. Thank you. Um, but that's a that's a fair point. I don't have an answer for that. Uh, 800-848-9222. We're going to talk about Chicken Bone Beach coming up in about, uh, in about five minutes. Looking forward to that conversation. Let me say hello to the original Rick in New Jersey. Hello, original Rick. Yes, good morning, Reverend Morano. Uh, yes, yes, hello, Rick. <laughs> anyway, about uh, <clears throat> the uh, code word, you know, uh, when you start banning code words, that's a slippery slope because you may all, – all code words don't mean the same to everyone else, and you can't start just, you know co- – co- anyway, uh, laughing, Martin and Rowan's laughing. They used to have a term, you bet your bippy. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, we all knew that meant you bet your ass. Right. And so did, so did the network. But they allowed it because it's a slippery slope when you start doing that. And they knew that, you know, and I think they had more uh, reverence for the First Amendment back then than we do now. But, yeah, no, code words, it's a code word, and it, it, it's ridiculous. You start doing that, where does it stop? Yeah, that's 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 a fair point, you know. A lot of the the phrases that we've uh, heard on TV over the years, I'm thinking of uh, "kiss my grits," for instance. That's supposed to be a uh, a slang a slang term for something else, right? I mean, and we've seen that on television over the years, and those those things don't get prohibited, right? I mean, um, so I, I think that's a, I think that's a good point. It is. It is sort of a uh, slippery slope. Not sort of. I think it is a slippery slope. 800-848-9222. Heck, look at the word heck. You know, people didn't want to say, you know, H-E-double toothpicks. 
and they came up with heck. So, uh, or what the Sam Hill. That's another way of avoiding having to say that other word. So I, uh, I totally get where that we've always accepted code words for, you know, for other words. Darn it in place of damn it. Right? All right, 800-848-9222. Uh, going to talk with Ronald Stevens in just a moment. But uh, a lot of people uh, have been agreeing with me, not necessarily Matt Blaze and um, Kenneth. So I'd love to get a, a contrary view. Chris is on Long Island. Hello, Chris. Uh, you know what, Frank? It's very, it is a slippery slope. Um, at first, when you – this is funny. At first, when you brought it up, I was like, I agreed with, Matt, you know, Matt Blaze, that they should not let the kids wear it in school. But now I'm thinking from your callers, I was thinking about, remember when Colin Kaepernick went into the locker room and he had pictures of cops as pigs on his socks in his locker room? Now, that, I found that highly offensive, okay, right. as someone who supports the blue. But nobody made him take it off. Like, do you think the team should have told Colin Kaepernick, listen, you can have your stances, but you have to take those socks off. It's offensive to police. There were pictures of policemen as pigs, okay? And as we all know, BLM, one of their big uh, chants that whole summer was pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon, Mm -hmm. which I find highly offensive. Fry them like bacon. That's basically saying kill cops, okay? That's all code for that. That's, That's what BLM stood for. But we had to endure that all summer. And you know what I'm saying? Like, how come do you think the Dolphins or whoever team he was playing for at the time, Colin Kaepernick, should have told him, you have to take those socks off? That's very well, offensive. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and thank you, Chris. Great points all. If it, uh, you know, when it's your football team, you make the rules, right? Uh, a football team is a private enterprise. It's, you know, George Steinbrenner, when he owned the Yankees, wouldn't allow the players to have facial hair. They couldn't have sideburns, right? He always went to war with Mattingly over his sideburns. Made Johnny Damon cut his beard. But a public school is very different from a private sports enterprise. Everyone who pays to see an NFL team pays. Uh, They're privately owned, privately run. The public schools are taxpayer-funded, and they're free to attend, and there's an expectation that there are some certain standards that don't apply when we're talking about an NFL player's socks. It's a totally different legal discussion. It's a totally different constitutional discussion. I think it's a totally different ethical and moral discussion. All right. I uh, want to talk a little bit about the history of Chicken Bone Beach in Atlantic City. Those of you that are holding, if you want to continue to hold, we'll get to you a little later. Very excited to have uh, Dr. Ronald J. Stevens join us in the AC Report straight ahead. As you can hear the chants from the crowd, let's go, Brandon. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is the AC Report.
Well, they blew up the chicken man in Philly last night And they blew up his house, too Down on the boardwalk, they're ready for a fight Gonna see what them racket boys can do Now there's trouble busting in from out of state And the DA can't get no relief Gonna be a rumble on the promenade And the gambling commissioner's hanging on by the skin of his teeth Everything dies, baby, that's a fact But maybe everything that dies someday he comes back Put your makeup on, fix your hair up pretty And meet me tonight in Atlantic City That's right, time for our weekly look at the most interesting 48 blocks in America Although, uh, this time, this is a historical discussion about an issue of national concern and national import, or national interest, maybe is a better word than concern. My favorite activity in Atlantic City, uh, look, it's different things at different times. I love to gamble. I love to check out the bars. I love to go to nice restaurants. But by far, my favorite thing to do, I love to go to the beach, my favorite thing to do is stroll the boardwalk. And nothing like a leisurely uh, stroll along the longest boardwalk in the world and the first boardwalk in America. And if you stroll the boardwalk and you walk the full length of it, as I like to do, you will see a plaque uh, summarizing the history of Chicken Bone Beach. What is Chicken Bone Beach? You might, Those of you that were fans of Boardwalk Empire... You have probably heard reference to it from time to time. And it is an interesting, interesting history that goes back a long way. Well, there's now an, a new book looking at the history of Chicken Bone Beach. And very honored to have one of the co-authors of that book, Dr. Ronald J. Stevens, a professor of African-American studies in the study of interdisciplinary studies at Purdue University and the co-author of the new book, Chicken Bone Beach. Dr. Stevens, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Well, thank you, Frank, for the invitation. Now, uh, Purdue University is not in New Jersey, Dr. Stevens. How did you get interested in Chicken Bone Beach? What prompted your interest in this? Uh, it's a long story, but I'll try to wrap it up like this. Um, I uh, <clears throat> lived in Michigan. I'm from Detroit. I'd written a book on Idlewild, Michigan uh, in 2001. Uh, a former drummer by the name of Sid Trusty who used to work at the Club Harlem on Kentucky Avenue. He had read my book, uh, extended an invitation to visit uh, Atlantic City. Uh, I did the next year. Uh, He gave me a tour, encouraged me to write a book about Club Harlem. So everything started back in 2002 from that tour, uh, and I understood you know, uh, that there was a connection between the beach uh, during the day with some of the entertainers and the club at night. So that's everything started there. And, of course, over the years, I've been doing research on Club Harlem and Larry Steele Smart Affairs. 
and uh, heard of, uh, met Mr. Raf Hunter of the uh, African American Heritage uh, 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 Museum of South uh, Southern New Jersey. And one day in one of those meetings, uh, he introduced me to uh, Harriet Schiffer. I'm sorry, Henrietta uh, Shelton. And uh, I, I understood that the role that she played as president of the Chicken Bone Beach Historical Foundation, mm. Inc. And it was from there I encouraged her. And, of course, I knew the publisher because I had published uh, with them before. Uh, and so the project started right there. Oh, that's pretty interesting. All right. Um, we So we now know what sparked your interest, even though you're not local to New Jersey. Explain to people what Chicken Bone Beach was. Uh, Chicken Bone Beach was a seg- uh, segregated, segregate, segregated uh, spot right off of the boardwalk designated exclusively for African Americans. Uh and this most uh the the point about this all started around nineteen hundred. Uh and as the years went by, African Americans uh from New York, New Jersey, um uh, uh Washington DC, Delaware and especially Philadelphia would frequent the area but they were, weren't allowed to uh, use the beachfront property. Uh, they weren't allowed to walk the boardwalk or shop at any of the shops. It wasn't until roughly around 1930-ish, maybe late 20s, uh, that a group of politicians and some c- casino owners uh, thought that it would be a good idea to designate a spot exclusively for African Americans. And so that was sort of like the beginning of uh, Chicken Bone Beach. So um, now what I've read, and if people are uh, picturing the Atlantic City boardwalk and the different spots on the Atlantic City boardwalk, Chicken Bone Beach is basically between Boardwalk Hall and Bally's, uh, just so people can can picture it if they've walked along those ways. And if you walk that way, you'll actually see uh, a plaque uh, commemorating the history of Chicken Bone Beach. So Chicken Bone Beach was, you know, again, people need to understand what was going on in Atlantic City and New Jersey at the time. Blacks and whites lived in the area side by side with very few problems after the Civil War. And it wasn't until, as you said, 1900 that the beach became segregated. Now, why in a northern state where blacks and whites had been living with one another and, and working with one another for years, why all of a sudden would they make the decision to make this a segregated beach? Well, you have to understand that Jim Crow segregation uh, was not only enacted in southern states, but it was also in, in the north. Uh, and those who were traveling to Atlantic City, the world's uh, greatest uh, amusement at that time, uh, they came with their value systems. And so did the casino owners, et cetera, and the shop owners. Uh, so that was uh, uh, the main reason. Uh, I want to point something else out, and that is that the name Chicken Bone Beach was sort of like a uh, – a nickname, a you know, a name of fondness 
uh, and that has some history. But it was originally called Missouri Avenue Beach, mm. uh, located between Missouri and Mississippi Avenue. And uh, what I want uh, some of the uh, listeners to know, if you think about some of the street names uh, in Atlantic City and the board game, the Monopoly, then you will get, get uh, you know, you will see the relationship because the streets in Atlantic City are, you know, they reflect the, the name of the places on the on the game. Yeah, the one street that I don't think the game has updated is Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. I don't think that's on the Monopoly board uh, just yet, but that's a, that's a good point. So it's amazing. It's in- I had read, uh, because I find it just amazing, that after years of no segregation, that, as you said, the local business owners would put pressure on the local community to enact a a segregated area of the boardwalk so heavily populated, especially. I I had read that this this place, Chicken Bone Beach, remained a blacks-only beach until the passing of the Civil Rights Act in 1964. Is that accurate as far as you know? Yes, it is. Very accurate. I mean, that's amazing to me to think that there could be people listening to this show right now who walked and were a part of a segregated beach, not in uh, Alabama or Georgia or uh, Tennessee even, but in actual New Jersey. Um, so uh, it's really it's really uh, interesting. What what um, why should people around the country, black, white, uh, whatever ethnicity, whatever color, why should people around the country? care about the history of this one tiny portion of Atlantic City, Chicken Bone Beach? I think it tells a story about race relations in the United States. It tells a story about uh, a people who have been denied certain rights, uh, but yet they persisted. Uh, they had every right to for leisure and recreation. I think the casino owners understood that. I think the local politicians understood that. I think the vacationers who came to Atlantic City annually understood that. And also, especially, I think the locals, the people who live just blocks away from the boardwalk, that they understood that, that they had that right. And that was their city. They take pride in that city. Uh, I think that most Americans do not even understand American history. They have a sort of false sense of American history. And what what we learn about Chicken Bone Beach is about the plight of a people and the people that they interacted with. And we understand, we, we learned that, you know, it, they, it, this story dispels many of the myths in America, uh, the caliber of people who came to Chicken Bone Beach. Uh, the enterprises uh, established on the north side uh, with over 137 businesses and a few mil- black millionaires, uh, particularly uh, uh, Madam Sarah, Sarah uh, Spencer Washington. You know, most people understand or heard of the name Madam C.J. Walker, but her rival, uh, Madam Walker, I mean, uh, Washington, was just as uh, enterprising. And the people that she associated with and that enticed to come to a place like uh, Chicken Bone Beach. We learn about it, black inventors, you know, who came there. Wow. 
uh, at a time. So it's a very important story, American story. It's one that that every American and even foreigners should cherish. Uh, No doubt about it. Well said. Uh, People just tuning in, we're talking with Ronald Stevens. He is a professor at Purdue and the co-author of uh, the new book, Chicken Bone Beach. And uh, the reason I was eager to do this is because I know there's a lot of listeners around the country that may not be familiar with the story, but... The there the, the you know there are a lot of people in New Jersey and I'm betting even a lot of people in Atlantic City that aren't familiar with the importance historically and culturally of uh, of Chicken Bone Beach. The the name Chicken Bone Beach. What I'd always heard is that it was because a lot of the folks who hang out who hung out there they would eat chicken wings and things of that nature and leave the bones on the beach. Is that accurate, or did the name begin as sort of a, a pejorative from from other people? Why did that name Chicken Bone Beach come about? Uh, absolutely. You, <clears throat> you hit the name. Many of the locals that understand that history, they don't like that name, but it has come. Uh, they've, uh, you know, they've uh, be- become fond of it. Uh, the story is, you know, one has to understand, Vic, we go back to Victor Green, uh, Negro modalist book, uh, and what it was like driving while black, where, you know, you just couldn't like today, you know, you couldn't stop any place to use the restroom or go to a uh, a restaurant or uh, to lodge in a hotel or even to gas up. And so the people who traveled there, they risked their lives traveling, wow. you know, um, and then once they got and, and to travel, if you're black and you can't go to you're not allowed to go to the local restaurants, uh, then you pack your own lunch. So you pack, you know, fried some chicken, uh, maybe made some cold cut uh, sandwiches, uh, boil some eggs and you packed, you know, some fruit and you packed and you went to the beach. And so the story goes that people would be eating their chicken there uh and bury bones in the sand. And we learned about the burying of the bones in the sand from the locals who lived there because it was their responsibility uh, at the end to clean the beach up. So that's where the story gotcha. uh, came from. Gotcha. Uh, talking with Ronald Stevens, uh, author of uh, Chicken Bone Beach. By the way, it, the uh, pictures in this book are just phenomenal. Uh, wh- wh- where did you guys get these photos from? Well, in Philadelphia, a local uh, self-made photographer by the name of John uh, uh, Mosley, he would travel uh, to Atlantic City most weekends, and he, uh, you know, he was the photographer. So the bulk of the uh, photographs came from uh, the Charles A. Bloxon collection on uh, Temple University's campus in Philadelphia. And we also retrieved photos from the Atlantic City uh, Free Public Library. Uh, And a couple of the pictures came from uh, some of the showgirls that Mm. actually performed at the nightclub. But also we we have pictures of them on the beach. So some entertainers like uh, Sammy Davis Jr., he he frequented that beach very often. Most of the locals, everybody knew him. Uh, Joe Lewis, heavyweight boxing champion, uh, <clears throat> he was there, and uh, so so too was Sugar Ray Robinson, his wife, uh, and probably the the key celebrity 
1964, the Democratic National Convention was held in Atlantic City, and no, no other than uh, Dr. Martin Luther well, King. No, picture it, of him. It's an inc- incredibly uh, rich history, uh, Dr. <laughs> Ronald Stevens. Uh, I have to run, but uh, I'm going to have to obviously get this book because I'm interested in any book having to do with Atlantic City. So I go on to Amazon to purchase a copy, and here's my question for you. I see that I can purchase this book new for $19.36, but I can purchase it used for $21.25. Why is the used copy more expensive than the new copy? I don't know. You have to ask Amazon, (laughs) but uh, if you want an autographed copy... You know, my my co-author, Henrietta Shelton, who is the president of uh, Chicken Bone Beach Historical Foundation, uh, they will be selling copies there. Uh, They can be autographed. Uh, Whoever uh, uh, purchases them uh, can get a tour of the the house. That's a great idea. I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there this weekend when I'm in Atlantic City, and uh, I will get an autographed copy. Uh, Dr. Ronald Stevens, Purdue University, thanks so much. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion or anything else we've been talking about, you're welcome to do so. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Appreciate you listening. We're going to get to your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. I am finally, because, you know, I was just trying to answer a text message, and it took me six minutes, at least. It might have been more. I started paying attention after six minutes. When Mm -hmm. I pressed the button that should bring up the text messages, for the text messages to actually respond. My phone is functionally a paperweight. It does not charge. It doesn't make phone calls. It barely texts messages. It's just terrible. It's just, it no longer, it's just really, uh, like I said, a paperweight. So I finally made the decision after five and a half years to get a new mobile phone. And I ordered a Google Pixel 7 Pro, which is going to come to me in the mail. It should arrive Within the next 24 to 48 hours. Wow. So that's coming. So I figured, well, I've had so many good memories with this phone over the years. I think almost every video I've ever done on Facebook, and you can see all the Facebook videos at facebook.com slash fan, they've been on this phone. So I figured, all right, this might be my last day with this mobile phone. 
So uh, why don't I shoot one last video? So what I'd love for you to do is take a look at that video and um, share it if you like. And uh, feel free to make comments on the things that I'm talking about. We covered a lot of ground. We covered uh, the upcoming fundraisers. We covered all sorts of things. So that's at Facebook.com slash Moreno fan. If you think it's interesting, you might want to share it. By the way, things that I hope you'll share. We got a brand new edition of the Racket Report. Oh, yes. My guest this week is Alan Geick, author of the book, Uncle Charlie Killed Dutch Schultz, The Jewish Mob, A Family Affair. It's a terrific read. And this was, I think, a really good discussion. But to understand the Jewish mob and to understand who Dutch Schultz is or was, you need to first understand Murder, Inc., Murder, Incorporated. And that's one of the things Alan Geick and I touched upon. When we talk about Murder, Inc., what was Murder, Inc.? Well, Murder, Inc. was given that name by a newspaper reporter uh, when uh, they finally busted and people informed from within in Murder, Incorporated. Basically, what it was was the enforcement arm of organized crime, which had just begun to formalize itself in the very early 30s. And uh, that's when a Murder, Incorporated, or the combination, I believe, it was called at the time. And uh, they, uh, nobody really knows. I see so many different numbers of how many people were uh, exec- uh, assassinated by Murder Incorporated hitmen, but I don't think anybody really has a, a good number of it. So if you want to hear the whole podcast, just search The Racket Report on iTunes or any podcast app, or you could uh, just go to redapplepodcastnetwork.com. That's redapplepodcastnetwork.com. Let me say hello to Eddie in Babylon. Hello there, Eddie. You've got about a minute. Okay, Frank. Uh, my neighbor, Mike Levine, was a lifeguard at Long Beach, and he told me when he got on, they put him on Chicken Bone Beach. In Long Beach, oh. and he said there were chicken bones in the sand all over the beach, and it was it was really a relatively black beach that that was there, and the people that came ate a lot of chicken and you know just flicked the bones off, and they were all in the sand. So it, I I thought this is what you were going to talk about. I didn't know it was in Atlantic City. I said, oh my gosh, there's a chicken bone beach there also. So. I guess it's still there. You know, those chicken bones stay in the sand. Yeah, I didn't know that uh, about that Long Island equivalent. That's very interesting, Eddie. Thank you. 800-848-9222. All right, the fellas that are on hold now, I don't want to make you only be able to get on for 10 seconds. So just um, hang on, and uh, we'll get to you at the top of the hour. You know, I smoked this nice cigar that I got at that Cathedral Club event that I went to the other day that Pat Russo was kind enough to invite me to at Gargiulo's. This cigar was one of the better cigars that I've smoked in a long time. It was a Macanudo, but it was a very specific type. I felt high after smoking this cigar. Maybe they put something in it. I don't know. Till next hour, your influence counts. Be sure to use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Well, I'm not trying to 
everybody. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. You know, I, I feel, I, I always feel a, a little bittersweet about coming into this, the last hour of the program. And I'll tell you why. Because I love hearing that song, and I do find it gives me a little extra spring in my step. I'm at that 24th mile, the 25th mile of a 26.2 mile marathon, and just hearing that gives you the kind of the gumption, the rush of adrenaline you need to finish strong. But I realize how much stuff I haven't gotten to in the course of the show, and I realize that, okay... I got a lot of stuff to get to this hour, and you start panicking about what to include, what not to include. Now, a lot of this I could could do tomorrow, but this is where – you remember those choose-your-own-adventure books? This is where you get to choose your own adventure. I am going to bring to your attention two very interesting – not slightly interesting – very interesting subjects, and you are going to have to make the decision to either call in – and engage on these two subjects, or to not. And let me give you the benefit of each. If you choose to call in, then you might be able to, A, voice your opinion. B, ask a question that other callers may have that I wouldn't have otherwise addressed. Three, raise a different viewpoint. Four, explain uh, a point of view that I hadn't thought of. Those are all good things. Those are things that, that the listenership my benefit from or just be so incredibly entertaining and interesting that um, we can't bear to not hear that call. Now, if you don't call in, I get to do more stories. And I promise you these are interesting too. So as you sit tight or stand, however you happen to be enjoying the show or lie tight, whatever the case may be, the Decision you're going to have to face is one of the most difficult decisions anybody has faced since Banya and Jerry Seinfeld were faced with the decision, the fork in the road, the Yogi-esque fork in the road to either go to Mendy's again or try somewhere new. Coming up in any event, in about 25 minutes, we'll talk with Brian Kilmeade. All right, let me let me get started. This is a true story. I raised this with Bill Burns the other day, but because Bill Burns and I talk about so many subjects that a lot of the listenership finds fantastic, they I think some of people some people just discount everything or think everything is with an asterisk. This is a fact. What I'm about to share with you is a fact. I want you to listen closely and then comment if you would like. Scientists are getting closer to the possibility of making a new person from skin or blood cells without the need for sex. This approach goes well beyond in vitro fertilization, which combines egg and sperm in a laboratory because it doesn't require natural eggs or sperm. This is called in vitro gametogenesis, or IVG, which is what I'm going to call it for the rest of this discussion. It promises to someday provide a cure for many different types of infertility, to slow or even turn off biological clocks, and to enable the kind of embryo selection that sends chills up the spines of many bioethicists. 
in a three-day meeting last week at the National Academies of Sciences, uh, researchers eagerly discussed their work, and advocates laid out their vision for making IVG useful, and the ethicists squirmed in their seats. Amrita Pandey, a sociologist at the University of Cape Town in South Africa, tells the group on Thursday, last Thursday, the search for a perfect, um, air quotes, can't see on radio, perfect race, perfect baby, perfect generation is not science fiction. So the technology for making babies from cells other than eggs and sperm still probably remains about a decade away. But in the grand scheme of things, a decade is nothing. I feel like yesterday it was the year 2013. I remember it vividly. But now, before the science turns possibility into reality, it's probably a good time for the public to consider the implications of IVG. That's the word from uh, I. Glenn Cohen, an expert on the intersection of law and bioethics at Harvard Law School. Uh, Cohen said, quote, there's certainly a lot of publications and a lot of interest in the scientific community. And um, it's great that we're introducing it to a larger community. If people have serious ethical concerns, this is the time to spell them out. So let's spell them out. How do you feel about this? We are in the very near future going to be able to create babies from cells without sperm, without an egg. Essentially, this will be a total test tube baby. You're going to be able to choose the best kind of attributes for your baby. You'll be able to have a baby at 55, at 60. You know, I'm not telling any tales out of school here because she spoke about this on the radio, but my former partner on the radio at one time, Juliet Huddy, said publicly, and, and to me on the radio, that she wished that she was old enough, I mean, she was, she had children with her husband, but now she's of an age where she's no longer fertile. She, she spoke about that publicly. And this would help someone like her. But does it open, open the door to eugenics? Are we going to see every parent pick out a baby that matches the physical attributes that they want? And is society somehow diminished by that? What do you think? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. I'll tell you, I feel the way about this exactly the same way that I feel about AI, artificial intelligence. And that's one of the many subjects that we're not going to get to this hour because I've run out of time. But um, I am really excited about the possibility of people being able to have children after their biological clock has ticked its last second hand. But I'm also incredibly frightened that this could lead to a brave new world, being the novel, the dystopian Orwell, uh, uh, Huxley novel. And I think it's very worrisome on a bioethical level, on an ethical level. What do you think? 
Speaking of ethics, I would be remiss if I did not wish a happy 60th birthday to my uh, very good friend Bruce Charrett, who is celebrating in Los Angeles. I was fortunate enough to be invited to his birthday party two years ago. It was a raucous good time. This is probably the only birthday party in America. It was in Brooklyn. Uh, It was probably the only birthday party in in America that could attract Frank Morano, Arthur Idala, Al Sharpton, and Robert Davi. Can you imagine a birthday party that attracts both Al Sharpton and Robert Davi? And everyone had a good time. Oh, and one of my favorite comedians, Tom Cotter, was there. He actually performed at a birthday party, at only a 58th birthday party. I think it was a 58th. Might have been a 57th. I think a 58th. But today he's 60 and looks good for 60. He's skinny now, I must say. Uh, So happy birthday to Bruce Jarrett. All right, give me, start queuing up and give me your take on the fact that in about a decade, you will be able to have a child without sperm or egg and be able to pick your embryo and all the rest of that. 800-848-9222. This is taking genetic research to the next level. And it is really interesting. This could be the future of fertility. This could be really troublesome for a whole bunch of ways. I-V-G. Remember those three letters? You're going to be hearing about them a great deal. So there's a lot of interest in the scientific community. And... um, I think the public is going to have a lot to say on this. So I want to hear what you have to say. Here's the other issue. Uh, I am short. I uh, hate that I'm – well, I don't hate that I'm short. I mean I've come to accept it. But I go out with my wife. She wears high heels. And, uh, you know, I'm the shorter person in the couple. And there is an aspect of that that's somewhat emasculating. You feel a little uh, Danny DeVito-ish. And – Sometimes I'll post a picture of me with someone. I remember I posted a picture of uh, Bernie and Sid with me one time, or um, I don't remember who else, but normal-sized people. And although although they, they're kind of tall. But um, someone said, oh, wow, I never realized Frank was so short. And, and that's a little embarrassing, but whatever, I deal with it. My And especially because my father is six foot two, and my brothers are over six feet tall. So when I was a young boy, I was always near, I was always maybe the fifth or sixth shortest person in my class. And all my teachers would say that, oh, don't worry about it. You know, your father's so tall, you know, by the time you're older, you'll, you'll be as tall as him. Well, lo and behold, I never became as tall as him. And it is a little frustrating. I would like to be a little taller. It does have its advantages. You can squeeze into seats that a taller person can't. You don't need as much leg room in a car. Uh, there are some good things about being being short. I mean, I'm not – I think I'm 5'8". Uh, I might be 5'7", but I think I'm 5'8". So uh, when I was in the first grade, maybe the second grade, my teacher, either Mrs. Coyle or Mrs. Gass, told me – or told the class, they weren't speaking specifically to me, that if you slept on the floor, it would lengthen your spine and make you taller. Possibly by as much as an inch or so. I don't remember. It was based. She wasn't making this up. It was based on something. But it turns out, I mean, you just shrink back to regular size eventually. So anyway, when I heard that in the first or second grade, I started sleeping on the floor regularly. 
because I wanted to be taller. Never happened. I'm still waiting for that growth spurt. It hasn't happened. Well, there is a growing trend in medical science right now that a lot of people are taking advantage of. And not a joke, not a joke. Leg lengthening surgery. Leg lengthening surgery is growing in popularity. You know, we've seen a lot of prominent men over the years, Tom Cruise, Nicholas Sarkozy, wearing heels to pose for photographs. And men have often gone to great lengths to appear a little bit taller. I'll be honest. There have been photographs I've taken with people that are super tall where I'm on my tiptoes. And it's embarrassing for for the people to see that. But whatever. I'd rather be I'd rather be slightly embarrassed among the three people that are seeing the photograph than tremendously embarrassed by anybody. Nothing could be more drastic or excruciating than leg lengthening surgery to gain a few inches. And yet this operation, which initially involves cutting the thigh bones in each leg and inserting rods, is becoming, according to NBC News, more popular in this country. NBC News reported that one 26-year-old man in California known as Alex spent more than $100,000 on this procedure to grow three inches or gain three inches and push his height from 5'7", he's about my height, to 5'10". Alex says in this NBC News piece, my goal was never to be tall. It's to be in a place where no one comments on, on my height. He explained that shorter men routinely get spoken down to just because of this trait that they can't control. You know, I'll be honest. I've noticed that. I have seen in the workplace, in politics, that um, there are instances where people have command of a room just because of their height. And I look, there's a reason that most of the time in presidential elections, I'm not making this up, you can look this up, most of the time in a presidential race, the taller person wins. So despite the cost, which I'm going to tell you about in a second, and the the eye-watering surgery here, Dr. Shahab Mahoubian of the Height Lengthening Institute in California told NBC... The procedure has just grown more widely accepted and more popular over the past five years. So Mahubian performed this guy Alex's operation and said, I even have 60 to 65-year-old guys that have come to me to undergo the procedure because it just doesn't stop. The short jokes keep on coming and they feel inferior. Once the rods are inserted... They're lengthened lengthened by up to a millimeter a day using an external remote control over the course of four months. New bone forms in the space between the two ends of the separated bone. After the initial surgery, physical therapy is required while the bone grows. Oh, my goodness. The final step is to remove the rods. Initially, the muscles around the bone will be weaker, but with exercise, they return to normal. This fellow, Alex, had his initial surgery in January of last year and returned for the hour-long procedure to remove the rods a year later. In the long run, the cost of the surgery could be outweighed by a boost in earnings because, according to a study in the Journal of Applied Psychology, 
each inch above the average height could be worth $789 more per year. With findings suggesting a six-foot-tall person earns an average of almost $166,000 more during their career than someone who's 5'5", even when you control for gender, age, and weight. That's significant. It is significant, even over 30 years. So um, this costs a lot of money. This surgery is $75,000. Would you ever, if you're a short guy like me, would you ever consider getting this leg lengthening surgery? Let's say money was not a factor. Let's say they were going to do it for you for free. Let's say the Leg Lengthening Institute wanted to advertise on this program. Say, hey, Frank, we want you to uh, endorse our spots and talk about your own experience. So we're going to give you the leg lengthening surgery for free, which happens. I had laser eye surgery for free. So my answer is 100% absolutely not. I'm curious what your take is. Would you ever get this leg lengthening surgery? Why or why not? For me, it sounds painful, and it sounds like way too time-consuming. It sounds like there's way too many potential complications. Curious what you think. 800-848-9222. If you want to comment on IGF, scientists who are debating the ethics of human reproduction without egg and sperm, I am ambivalent about that. And leg lengthening surgery, which I think is great for you if you want to do it, but you wouldn't get me, you wouldn't catch me doing it. Absolutely under no circumstances. Even though I'd love to be taller, I'm going to wait until I stumble upon a genie who's poised to grant some wishes. Thoughts, questions, comments, 800-848-9222. The Fugazi Tom is in the Bronx. Hello, Fugazi Tom. Hey, Frank. Uh, (laughs) Will you be able to jack yourself up like a tire to your desired height? It doesn't sound that way. It doesn't sound that way. Uh, Well, if if they're ever able to sell it, which they probably will sparingly, like you said, that'll be the next step. Okay. I want to speak on the creating of life, all right, because that's all we're talking about, the biggest fraud that can ever be conceived, that scientists have found a way to recreate life can never happen. The soul is life's source. The body cannot live on its own. The body is not what's alive. It's our soul, however you want to define it. And scientists know that, you know. And 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 it's it's, it's the biggest it's always that's always circulated, you know. Uh every ten years or something we can, you know, reproduce life and all that. And um that, that, that's, that, you know, I get tired of hearing that. I would like to, for the scientists to ever explain how they are going to create our life source, our intelligence. Well, I mean, look, if some, if a baby is born using this method, uh, that baby would have a soul, wouldn't it? No. No, that's why you got to slap the baby to get it to to, to, to breathe. Well, I, no, I don't know. I, 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 I okay, share... I understand. Wait a minute, Frank. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. It probably you probably right. It should have a soul, but not if it's created in a laboratory. Could never be that way. Well, you got to let nature take its course. Yeah, I, I agree with that point for the most part, Tom. Thank you. But one, I, I think if a baby's born 
that baby has a soul, right? Even if it doesn't come from a sperm eggs combination. But I'm no, I'm no expert on what a soul is. I have no idea what a soul is. But I think if you're a human, you're a human. What bothers me is the ethics of being a eugenicist. And if this technology was around when Hitler was trying to create a perfect Aryan race, how would things have turned out? But then I weigh that with all the couples that I know that would like to have a child, but are a biological child, but are unable to do so right now. I also weigh that against um, people with, you know, the, the struggles that families have having children with Down syndrome or uh, other developmentally, uh, uh, other developmental disabilities. This would put an end to that in all likelihood. So I really, I'm very intrigued by this and I can see the benefits, but I'm also incredibly frightened by this. It really does sound, especially when with combination with what's going on with AI, it sounds like a science fiction movie. And one in which it's a, not a happy ending necessarily. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Joe is, we've got Brian Kilmeade coming up in about five minutes. Joe is in New Jersey. Hello, Joe. Hey, good morning, big guy. How are you? Uh, I'm fine. Hey, How are you, little guy? This, uh, this issue with the, uh, the surgery, the uh, lengthening or heightening surgery, uh, I mean, I, I got it. This is pure vanity. Yes, uh, of course it is. Yes. Well, so, yeah, but isn't so are breast implants. So is a nose job. I mean, there are so many aspects of plastic surgery and cosmetic surgery that are vanity. I, but I just think grabbing the height, uh, the mentality to want to do that, to be taller, uh, it, it's it's almost obscene. All right, well, look, I would agree with you. I would never do this, Joe, at all, even if it was free. Thank you for the call. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. E. Frank is in Astoria. Hello, E. Frank. Yes, uh, Frank, you, you won't regret this call. I know that you like living life dangerously. I'm not going to embarrass you. <laughs> but what you're saying about, you know, egg and sperm not being able to uh, are going to be artificially um, not needed to conceive. I don't understand what happened with the known and established sperm banks. Uh, why should a woman, when she's losing her ability, where her menstrual, menstrual cycles lose hope that she can't really believe that she can conceive? This new way of reproducing, as you say, uh, I think that's not something that you know is going to be a popular thing because uh, even though we have high population growths, uh, we have younger people in the workforce. I mean, is there uh, this new artificial intelligence that you're talking about, or the sperm and, and egg conception theory? You think that that that's a prevalent idea now? Well, uh, thank you, E. Frank. I think there are a lot of people that would have interest in it. Yes. In fact, I think I know couples that would have an interest in in doing this. If they're not able to have a baby conventional, the conventional means, I think they would be interested in having a biological child in this manner. I do. Um, For better or worse. 800-848-9222. One last call before we do the uh, 15 seconds of fame. Uh, Charles is in. Uh, excuse me, the $1,000 minute and then Brian kill me. Larry is in Long Island. Hello, Larry. 
Frank, about an hour ago, you talked about a topic, um, language, what's proper on shirts. True story. Yesterday, I'm at my grocery store, and there is somebody working. He's stocking a shelf. I've never seen him before. He had, and this is a well-known, established grocery store. The manager's been there for like 20, 30 years. Solid, professional place. On the back of his sweatshirt, and I'm keeping it clean, in big, bold letters, F-U star K cigarettes. I was shocked. Would that have shocked you? I think it probably would have, yeah. I mean, I don't like seeing that on, on shirts. But, I mean, obviously, in the public square, it's one thing. But in school, it's a bit different. But you've got people. You've got kids. You've got... I agree with you. Look, I think it's terrible. I don't know why people do that at all. Um, I just... I, I agree with you. I can't believe... I can't believe that he was allowed to wear that. I mean, this manager's been there for a long time. He's, he's, he's a nice guy, but he's, he's all business. And uh, it just it just it was offensive. Yeah, and I don't know why people want to wear shirts like that. Mm-hmm. I don't get what you're what you're proving. Anybody, Larry? Thank you, um, Robert and Charles. If you want to hold, uh, we'll we'll try and get to you later. But we got a crowded hour. I, I can't offer you any promises. If you call back tomorrow, I'll I'll just tell Kenneth that we'll bump you to the top of the line. We have fewer guests tomorrow, so we'll have more time to chat. Meantime, we're going to try and give one of you right now. $1,000. If you are the seventh caller to 800-848-9222, that's 800-848-9222, you will have an opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. Do so, and you will be $1,000 richer. Simple as that. Guy yesterday came very close, uh, got up to question eight, and was on pace to hit that 10 questions. And I think he would have gotten it. Let's see how you can do. Seventh caller right now, 800-848-9222, minute, and Brian Kilmeade straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Five years old, she is old enough to run for president. My wife's a fan of Lizzo, and um, this is—I uh, asked her her favorite Lizzo song, and she said it was this one. 
So I do wonder, um, you know, everyone's talking about the Joe Biden, Donald Trump age problem. But um, I do wonder if one of them in a youth move, now that Lizzo is eligible to run for president, if they would ever consider picking her as a running mate. Because I think this is going to be one of the few presidential elections. But I'll ask Brian Kilmeade about this in a minute. But assuming it's a Trump versus Biden rematch, which who knows, maybe it won't be. But um, I think this is one of the few presidential elections where the outcome actually the, the vice presidential selection really does matter. I think in almost every presidential election in my lifetime, the vice presidential selection has not mattered a- at all. I don't think it would have changed the outcome one bit. I think this is an election where people will be because of the candidates ages and the actuarial table for their ages. You're going to see the vice presidential candidate play a big role here. I'll ask Brian Kilmeade in a second. All right, without further ado, it is about damn time to play. The Other Side of Midnight presents It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Let's say hello to Jason in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Jason. Hey, what's going on, Frank? Good morning. Morning, morning, Jason. Jason, have you heard this segment before? Yes, I have. Great. So you know what to do, right? I do. Okay. Well, best of luck. Uh, I think you're 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 going to do just uh, just great. All right. Um, All right. Let's do it. Timer will begin after I ask you the first question. Don't overthink it. Most of these are pretty easy. Okay. What color? Is the sky blue? What is the name of the city that is famous for its canals in Italy? Venice. What is the maximum number of players on a baseball field at any given time? Nine. What is the name of the fictional city where Batman is based? Gotham City. Who was the first emperor of Rome? Pass. Well, you got to answer it. Otherwise, you, we can't give you the money. Uh, uh, we'll be very liberal. Alexa- Go ahead. Alexander. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, the correct answer, you made it up to question five. The correct answer was Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus. Uh, okay. So we would have we we would have accepted that. We would have accepted Augustus. We would have accepted Octavius, any of those names. First Emperor of Rome, Pax Romana. Jason, I'm sorry you didn't win. You made it up to question five. I thought you were doing well on the timing. I'm going to put you on hold. Give Kenneth your information, and we have a magnet for you. Uh, Someone who has more than earned a magnet with the work he has been doing this week. I am exhausted just thinking about his schedule on a regular basis. But this actually is one of the very rare hours where Brian Kilmeade is not hosting a radio show or a TV show. He's only guesting on a radio show. I am just in awe of what we have seen this week from uh, Brian Kilmeade, a New York Times bestselling author, and who's anchoring more shows than uh, than I can count at the present moment. Also a nationally syndicated radio talk show host. Brian, I am blown away that you kept your weekly date with us today because I am exhausted just thinking about your schedule. Well, I mean, uh, you're here a lot earlier. You know, you're you're doing this uh, from midnight on. Uh, got in got in last last night, and you know the harder part is the hardest part about doing these shows is you can't wind down. 
And I know you got to get to bed. Uh, so the thing is, I'm not even a little bit tired. I'll be tired on Saturday. Right, right. Because, you know, uh, with all the chaos with um, uh, Tucker and Fox parting ways, they just asked me to fill in at 8, and it's uh, it's been crazy. But uh, Yeah, Saturday. I like to a- help out. I have no idea what happened. I'm great friends with Tucker. And I think he's unbelievably talented. I think everybody listening to us right now pretty much agrees with that. So um, it's been a crazy week. Yeah, no, I, I definitely don't want to put you, um, you know, in, in a spot where you, you're asked to comment on things that you have nothing to do with and don't know about. But um, a lot of folks are wondering what this portends uh, for the future of Fox News Channel. You have a lot of folks, uh, folks like Steve Bannon and others, uh, basically declaring war on Fox and saying, if you watch Fox, you're part of the the enemy. Where where do you think this whole uh, episode really? yeah. leaves Fox News and its viewership going forward? Uh, Just as strong as ever. I mean, put it this way. I mean, did Sean Hannity change? Did Laura Ingram change? Did Brett Baer change? Did The Five, the number one show in all of television, change? Did Neil Cavuto change? I mean, what what are you talking about? Tucker's very different. He's the original thought leader. I'm with his team now. They're unbelievable in terms of producers. You got a great producing team here. Anyone, Frank, if you're ever out, Someone's going to walk in, and there's going to be a machine to help them out if you're ever out. So the, every every producing team are literally their own franchise. You know, for Steve Bannon to come out and criticize Fox, really? This guy got, uh, I guess, fired from the Trump administration, and then I hooked up with another writer and just ripped Trump from limb to limb. Then he gets himself in legal trouble, and Trump pardons him, and now he's a Trump loyalist. So... Uh, to me, uh, I don't know what they're talking about. These are a, a bunch of people who think they can run this network, and they can't. And one thing I will tell you, nobody's telling – all those names I just ran ran through, nobody tells Tucker what to do. No one tells us what to do. No one – Fox and Friends, three hours in the morning, three-hour radio show. You know, something goes wrong. We have media relations call and say, what happened? That's about it. So it's the number one show for 25 years, and I don't think we have to – curtail our format to make Steve Bannon happy. <laughs> well said. Hey, uh, one of the things that, that we've heard is that uh, this might end up being a good thing for DeSantis because the thought is that that Tucker was more of a Trump person than a DeSantis person. The news came out last night that DeSantis is set to jump into the 2024 presidential race in mid, mid-May. NBC News, for what it's worth, reporting that uh, it is going to become official and that it's going to be an exploratory committee and then an official launch soon after. I know you've interviewed DeSantis, probably every uh, potential and declared Republican presidential candidate. Do you think that this is an accurate story, that he's going to move forward with the campaign in May? I don't know. Um, Frank, you're on the air, so you couldn't possibly have seen this, but DeSantis just did a presser in Israel. And he took American press questions, Israeli press questions. I watched him in South Korea. This guy can handle anything. And I'm telling you right now, uh, anyone who minimizes DeSantis and says, wow, Trump's beating him up. Yeah, those ads are really good. Trump's team is excellent. Best team he's had in the three. And they have ads running out. They know DeSantis is the big guy. But to think that from what I know, and I talked to Tucker last night. I didn't bring this up. But to think that Tucker was more pro-Trump than pro-DeSantis, I think, is just wrong. I don't think he knows. I, you know, he doesn't really give that many candidates on. Like last night, right. I suggested Tim Scott come on. His team was like, okay, if you want a lawmaker, they don't even think like that. 
Right. They think more issues. Well, that's one of the reasons I really enjoyed uh, his program. But uh, you understand that that's not what I'm saying, but it is the the perception among some. Well, I'm just I'm just hashing it out with you. I I think that's wrong. And and the network doesn't pick people. I don't know what people what people should understand. I know you have a national show. What people should understand is. The network doesn't pick anybody. Nobody picked Trump. No one predicted Trump. No one picked it, predicted George W. Bush. Uh, Barack Obama, uh, you know, was a sitting senator was with uh, was on our channel selling a book before he ran for president. No one picked him. You know, did we pick Barack Obama? Did Hillary Clinton? You know, we we were actually the best network on that battle, which was a great battle, by the way, between Hillary and Barack Obama, because we could actually be fair. And Hillary Clinton, at one point, I think, said, thank God for Fox, believe it or not. So it's going to be a great race. you got six or seven really quality people on the right. And you have a person deteriorating before our eyes on the left. And RFK just took 19, 19% of the vote. Well, uh, yeah, and wanna, he's been campaigning three days. He can't talk. I want to ask you what about that. What does that have to do with Fox? I enjoyed your uh, interview with Marianne Williamson as well, who I want to ask you about. But do you believe that the, what NBC News is reporting is the case, that uh, come mid-May, DeSantis is jumping into this race? Yeah. Yeah. No question. Just wait for this, Frank, and I know you know this. But right now in Florida, the law says if you run for president, you cannot be governor. So they're going to, at the end of their session, change that. As soon as they change that, he is in. So, and all I can tell you is, if you have a chance to go online, wherever it's posted, YouTube, watch the press conference with Ron DeSantis. And know that we just watched the president with the South Korean president yesterday. I mean, and one of the questions, I couldn't hear the question. They didn't mic, they didn't mic the question, so you have to kind of assume what he's answering. But he just turned around and said, you just have a narrative. That's totally not true. You're pointing at something that happened in 2006. How could that possibly happen? I'm a junior congressman coming over here. What do you mean I made a statement that's anti-Israel? That's totally not true. That's what you want to do. And I'm saying to myself, this is a 44-year-old, very confident person in Israel talking about U.S.-Israeli relations, contrasting it with Democratic Party, for the majority of which side with the Palestinians over Israelis. Now, that's something to think about. And he talked about Saudi Arabia in a coherent way and the Iranian deal in a very detailed way because he looked at that thing. So I'm just telling you, he's going to be very formidable. He is going to be in. And then we're going to see what his strategy is against Trump because Trump has been really strong. I'm telling you, I, I get I don't know if you're on the text message list, but when he cuts a tape, it is policy. And I get text messaged and probably every six hours and I look at it every time and they're not a waste. They're, oh, it's kind of interesting. Okay, he just weighed in on this policy. So um, That's Trump's going to be tough. But you but you just don't know if DeSantis, you just don't understand because DeSantis is keeping his powder dry. It doesn't mean he does not know how to handle Trump. We haven't seen the strategy. The game has not started yet. Well, that's why I am curious as to some comments, your view on some comments he made to uh, John Katzmatidis and Rita Cosby last night, where he basically said he's not inclined to participate in the primary debates. He says he's way ahead of everybody and doesn't want to put someone who has minuscule poll numbers on a platform and, and elevate them and answer questions from them. Uh, these are the first RNC sponsored debate is uh, going to be at the Reagan Library in August. Trump says he's not planning to participate. Do you think that's a good strategy, a poor strategy? Do you think he should debate? I think the Reagan, I think the Reagan debate is second. 
I did not know. You I just gave me corrected. news. I didn't know that. It's a Milwaukee. Uh, as the word uh, he said August. that to, right. to John and Riedel last night? Yeah, I'll send you the, the audio. It's re- really oh, interesting. But, you know, he did uh, put that on Truth Social, something similar. No one checked with me with debates. Who's going to be the moderator? You know, and, and that's true. And you should definitely work the refs to get the best deal possible. That's, that's great negotiating. That's what you love about Trump. But for, if he does not show up for debates, it's terrible. It's a, I know I know that he didn't really have to debate during the primary because there was no challenge, but he's got like six legitimate opponents. If they're all in single digits, uh, I still think he should show up. Well, what I but well, they're not. I mean, my view was if you know if he's concerned about answering questions from you know, somebody who's at less than one percent, then there should be a minimum threshold. Make it that you have to be at ten percent in the debates or fifteen percent, which is the case for the general election. And then that would limit the more, you know, the obscure the more obscure candidates. You know, I, I think that he sees more downside because he knows that he's vulnerable. And Chris Christie in particular, if he gets on that stage, he knows Trump inside and out. And, you know, some of the things that Christie's going after him at, uh, saying that he didn't finish the wall is a joke. That is not where the president's vulnerable. That was not his fault. He got 450 miles. When they say they didn't drain the swamp, that to me, he's not vulnerable. He did more than anybody else, and he identified it. Nobody else could even do that. But where Trump is vulnerable is uh, some of the tweets, some of the distractions, uh, some of the, you know, the, these uh, court cases, how we handle January 6th. That's where he's vulnerable. If Republicans feel comfortable going there. So but he's not vulnerable on those other things. But when he gets on that stage, he's going to have to defend some things that he did. um, And it's he sees a lot of downside. So if he is ahead, he'll use that. But I I said that to Ronald McDaniel yesterday because, you know, Donald Trump loves the debates. I'm like, yeah, not all the time. He he didn't show up for the Fox debate. Right. No, I remember he made um, I think he made mention of that as well. Talking with Brian Kilmeade, the. the Democratic primary contest, you have Marianne Williamson polling at about 5%. You have Robert F. Kennedy Jr. You, I didn't realize what you just said, that he's polling at 19%. I, I heard that he was at 14%, which is amazing, uh, given the fact that he has the difficulty speaking, has never held elective office, and has some views that a lot of folks regard as fringe. Do you think that um, there could be a genuine contest on the Democratic side of the ledger this year? Yeah, I could just tell you that this is the poll that came out uh, last night, Fox. Uh, Biden with 62 percent, uh, the Democratic, uh, on the, these among Democratic voters. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy with 19 percent. Marianne Williamson with nine. Yeah, I don't, I don't see it getting that much closer unless he really fumbles the ball. I mean, did you see, Frank, yesterday that they, he, he went ahead? This is unbelievably and unacceptable. He knew the questions ahead of time, did, did Joe Biden, typed out on little cards. And over his shoulder, we see the shot. And almost verbatim, the reporter asked the questions. What reporter worth anything would ever tell a press secretary exactly what they were going to say ahead of time? You might walk over and say, what are you interested in, Israel? What are you interested in? Uh, what are you guys talking about? Right. Uh, you know, spending, domestic spending, this debt ceiling. Okay. But he knew the, the whole thing about uh, about uh, about the CHIPS Act in South Korea and how it affected it. It was written out. So if that continues, if he continues to not be able to hold press conference, answer a question, make a speech, that could close out. But I think it's it, he'll be threatened by somebody who's not out there yet. I personally can't see RFK closing the gap much further. But if I'm a 45-year-old governor like Jared Polis, I think actually 53, why would I wait? Right. Or who's, Gavin who's telling Newsom. me to wait? Right. Well, Gavin Newsom, she's terrible. I mean, yeah, but, but I don't know. I, I, 
he probably feels as though I, I, I'm afraid of alienating the establishment. But if I'm somebody who's, who's just a good, solid governor, you know, the Democratic or, or a senator who, who understands the issues, I'm jumping in. Right, or, or I mean, somebody think, like a Roy Cooper who could win in a purple state, you imagine. Oh, uh, great point. You know, what about Bashir in Kentucky? I, I, I think uh, all of these folks would be a, a big nightmare for Biden. You know, for Biden, he's in a position where you have conservative Democrats like Joe Manchin not endorsing him and liberal Democrats like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez not endorsing him. So there's a lot to be concerned about. And, you know, as far as your point with the press conference and catching the pre-approved question situation, do you really need to imagine what the reaction would be if President Trump got caught uh-huh. Colluding with media outlets, let's say you, to take pre-approved yeah. questions at a press conference with a foreign leader. I mean, we're not talking about some, you know, dopey uh, talk radio show, you know, in the middle of the night. We're talking about a press conference with a foreign leader. You would have people crying out that this was totalitarianism. Uh, and again, we're fascist with this sort of uh, degree of collusion. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe it. I mean, all those reporters should be ashamed of themselves. Where if they come up to you and say, what's your question, verbatim, and they type it out and hand it to the president. I mean, did you see some of the cards from last year? Walk in the room, greet everyone, sit in the chair, say hello. I mean, that's the guy? You don't think I could be that guy? So, and the question is, you know, on another note, you didn't ask me this, but I watched Trey Gowdy. I saw Chris Anunu. Um uh, I saw Chris Christie. They all say that the only person to, that would lose to Joe Biden is uh, is Donald Trump. Other people feel the only person to beat Joe Biden would be Donald Trump because of the Democratic machine. So, uh, you know, I, I like to just know this is this is what everyone should say. If you like the field, if you're a Republican, what you, who wins Arizona, Georgia, Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania? If the, if you're a Republican and can't find a way. A path to victory in those states. Don't tell me how big your crowd is. You know, don't tell me how much they love you. Tell me your strategy to flip those states back. Uh, great point, uh, Brian. I, I got to run, but I have to ask you, you know, we alluded to this a month or so ago when the rumors started circulating. One one of the most incredible quarterbacks of the last 20, 30 years, maybe ever, Aaron Rodgers now becoming a New York Jet. Is it time for Jets tickets to per- Jets fans to purchase their Super Bowl tickets? Close. I mean, did you see him yesterday? Yeah. He's zoned in. He isn't. I mean, he is zoned in. He wasn't pretending that this wasn't a big deal. He says he loves this team. He loves the draft of the last two years. He is a very smart guy. He's, a, he's really bookish. So he did his homework. He asked for a few players. He got them. So uh, I think that he wants to win. I mean, I, I, I was in awe of some of his comments, the smiles. We've seen him sullen. We, 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 he's been in the national news with this whole vaccine situation, the would-be demand for a trade last year. Didn't work. So we've seen him upset, uh, and he is not upset. I mean, this guy is not done. So everybody who's worried that he's not all in, watch the press conference. If, you get, if all the Jets want, get him close. Uh, you get this guy close, and he'll get you there. But you just get me, uh, if you're a Jeff fan, get him close. Brian. If they're close and he's healthy, uh, game on. I got to run. Fox and Friends this morning, and then you're still in uh, primetime at 8 p.m. tonight, right? For the next two nights. Okay. And then, of course, Saturday at 8. 
One nation. One nation. It is killing it in the ratings, even on the episode Sid Rosenberg doesn't appear on. Brian Kilmeade, (laughs) thank you as always, my friend. Appreciate it. Keep at it. Go get him, Frank. Thank you. 800-848-9222. 15 seconds of fame straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. Victor! Uh, when asked to spell Katsimatidis, Ocasio-Cortez is, it's all Greek to me, but I just need a small hint. If you can give me the first 17 letters. Robert. Charles. Yes, first I want to commend you, uh, Frank Morano, on the fascinating topics you come up with, really great topics. Secondly, I wanted to say about men's height. They say that they asked ex-Mayor Abe Bean, who was about five feet tall, for a loan, and he said, at the moment, I'm a little short. Raji. The questions take up 40 seconds, 40 seconds, and get progressively longer, so the answer only has 20 seconds net to answer 10 questions. My E. Frank. Yes, um, you know, Steve from Manhattan promotes Pat Buchanan, but I think we're in very serious uh, hot water when retired Senator uh, Biden and former Vice President Biden is going to run the country the old way. Mike. Morning, Frank. For each and every day, there was a Larry David moment. Some days have more than others. You in a robe standing in the middle of the street with a 20 in the hand, that's an LDM. Jerry. Sizzamoron, sizzamoron, sizzamoron. Finally, Brandon. With President Biden bobbing his head in a press conference to a Let's Go Brandon song, I think the teacher's objecting over the sweatshirt is stupid, and I don't mean to be banal for agreeing with you, Frank. <laughs> well done. On that note, that slams lit on things for today. Tomorrow, tomorrow's Friday. We got to ask Frank anything. We got Debbie Schlussel. We got some other whacked out stuff. It's going to be a great show. I hope you'll be here. I'm certainly going to be here, God willing. Um, Until then, Frank Morano, good day.